All right, hello, welcome back to Anime on the Sea of Sky. Today is a little bit of a special episode, considering that not only is this probably going to be a multi-parter, like expanding on more than the handful of episodes that we cover in the beginning, but at least with me today, I'm joined by a buddy of mine, Johnny. Hi, it's good to have you. Wait, it's good to have you. No, it's not good to have you. Yes, it is good to have you. Exactly. <laughs> it's going a bit of a back and forth to at least bring everybody on because whenever we like try and cover this topic like previously, it's just something that we can never like get across fully. And even though the discussions essentially stretch on to much longer than they're supposed to be, and it always just keeps on going later, at least today we'll try and articulate it in a good enough semblance that we're actually able to get our points across and just kind of like share the kind of passion and fervor that we have for the series as a whole. Mm-hmm. Evangelion is a really, it's a cultural phenomenon that I think stretches out beyond just the anime realm. Um, it definitely, you know, to its name, ushered in a new era, a new genesis to the anime industry and, you know, transcends just, yeah, it's just a media giant that uh, came out of left field. Nobody was expecting it to have this much impact, and yet we can still feel the ripples of its effect today uh, in modern anime. And yeah. also just you know, and anime-adjacent media. But uh, it, yeah, thanks for, it's, like, yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, it's been a long time coming. And I've been really excited to do this episode. Yeah, no, exactly same. Because it's just kind of like, in terms of like, just cultural importance and phenomenon, like for me, at least the most general comparison that I can make, like at least in a Western sense, would probably be Star Wars, like maybe, is like the closest in terms of just the the length of the franchise, the amount of time and the amount of like impact that it's actually made throughout the majority of its run. The, considering the not necessarily the remakes but the continuation of what is essentially already an ongoing story that's been going on for at least 25 years yes it's, it's just kind of ridiculous to see like how it's been split how many different pieces of media how many different pieces of merchandise and connectivity and different avenues that like both of those franchises have essentially encompassed throughout an entire like sci-fi uh like medium inside of their own cultures like it's just to the mm-hmm. point where like just the impact that both of them have made in their own stances is just something that probably cannot be matched. Yeah, it's um, there was definitely an era that prior to it, um, where there was kind of a stagnation in the anime industry that Anno was trying to fight against. And his answer to that was Neon Genesis Evangelion uh, for TV anime, for TV production. And everything that came after that uh, is uh, very different. And it allowed a lot of experimental, uh, unconventional ways of storytelling to be placed in, in a TV time, in a, you know, a quality TV time slot. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's really, it's something special. And I think that everybody should have the opportunity to experience it at least once, uh, going in blind, just full recommendation, go in, watch it and share your thoughts with everybody else, whether it be good or bad. Yeah, exactly. Because at least what we're going to plan at least to cover in this episode is just going through the majority, whether essentially like the pre-production of the series, what happened before, during and after, why it was essentially created this way, what drove Ono to the lengths that he did to essentially like bring this into his own genesis and to essentially like bring this into the world and why he did it and why it was both the best and worst thing to happen to him in general. And I definitely agree with you on that point where it's just that even though like this is going to be like the simplest way that we can say we're going to be spoiling at least throughout the entirety of this <laughs> series before, during and after, we're going to be doing at least hopefully going through the entire series and then going through the end of Ava 
may probably won't get to the rebuilds at this point because that is a whole nother egg to crack like, in the midst of it. It is so just just the entire franchise of Evangelion as a whole. It's like yeah. what we've done previously. It's like we've already talked hours upon hours at length, like not even recorded, and we still haven't even come close to even like scratching the surface or getting the mm-hmm. majority of the content that we thought about it out of it. But yeah, no, it's, oh yeah, it is definitely something, but I will agree with you on that point where it's just kind of like, it is so much of a Warshack test and there's so many unique experiences and perspectives that can be taken from just the original television series as mm-hmm. a whole. So the bo- the most that you and I can do at this point in time would definitely just be say it is a wholehearted recommendation for both of us. And like you said before, everybody needs to at least experience this once. You might not enjoy it. You might give up partway through, but it's definitely one of those series that doesn't necessarily demand your attention, but it's still something that is, everybody will find something new to to love about it or something new to hate. But essentially that's how the franchise itself evolves as a whole. So mm-hmm. definitely go and have the opportunity to go through. But um and once you do, you can come back and listen to us gush about this thing for a couple of yes. hours. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's there's just just over the fact that we're speaking about it now here in 2021 when, you know, it was released in 1995. Um, the fact that there's so much so much contention about how to interpret the series, Sansu's legacy. It's there are a lot of different ways that you can read it, uh, and a lot of it is left up to interpretation. There's a lot of ambiguity, abstractionism to it, uh, symbolism as well. Um so it's a very densely layered series, and I think that there there are pockets within the series that you can uh, enjoy from all sort of walks of life. Yeah, at least in terms of like the first experience that I had with it would have definitely been. It's not it's not a unique one. It's not a game changer. You've wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised or missed to hear that anybody hearing about somebody like watching this and have it being like a turning point in their life or having like a large resounding impact on going through I the first time I ended up watching this was only like back in 2012 and this was post rebuild three so it was still it was still a hot topic in contention at the time considering that like everything surviving surviving around the third rebuild or in this case the um well what yeah it, that would be interesting considering that it would technically be like the fifth evangelion film if you yes if you want to if you want to count um death like, and rebirth as well as event and Eva. but yeah no it's still been like talked about so much more before mm-hmm. like uh we'll, we'll get to the rebuild series yeah like like stated earlier we'll get to the rebuild series later because uh there's there's a lot to unpack there but and taking a look at just the original 26 episode uh, TV series, and then the end of Evangelion, and then Death and so uh, Death and Rebirth. For those who are unaware, are kind of a um, companion piece to the TV series. They're basically a retelling or recap of the original uh, twenty six episodes, but there are some some changes in the way that they're the the story is structured and told, uh, and then some redrawn uh, scenes as well, um, which I'll I'll get into about a little bit later. But um, yeah, I, I think everybody just start off with the first um, 26 episodes. Watch End of Evangelion for sure. And then Death and Rebuild are kind of like nice little treats later if you're still curious. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't necessarily like watch Death and Rebirth the first time around. And I was able to at least experience it once again once it came through. Because I will admit, and I think you've already said this before, it's probably the best time currently to be an Evangelion fan. Considering yeah. that 
as of 2019 or the summer of 2019, Evangelion, the entire original 26 episode series, as well as Death and Rebirth and the end of Evangelion, all ended up getting licensed uh, and put onto Netflix mm-hmm. and bringing an entirely new just generation, considering that at considering how anime has evolved over like the past decade or so, how it's become mainstream, how it's trends and how its momentum has essentially carried it as to like one of the biggest like media pieces in like in the current day and age to the point where it's like what Crunchyroll ended up getting bought out for one point two billion dollars as and a Funimation like, by it, by Sony. Exactly, yeah. And it's just the like even before like it, it, its impact wasn't necessarily could be heard around the entirety of Japan. Now even though there have been many other ways for you to essentially go through and watch it, now the entirety of its compendium is now available for legally to be owned legally streamed. Considering that, like, because hard hard copies and DVDs were so hard to come by, considering the limited licensing print, hell, basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like, it's so difficult. You could to find. not. Yeah, there was you just like you could not. Go ahead. Oh no, I, I'm sorry. I was just ending that. Where it's like yeah. you literally just could not find this thing anywhere unless you unless you wanted a legitimate physical copy you would have to pay out the ass for it easy either through like uh, like a third-party reseller uh from from japan and then also having to yeah there and or or you have to resort to to fan subs and other sort of like um small niche communities in order to supplement that 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 uh media um yeah, because even in because in the two thousands you didn't have that. If you didn't have a DV like a set of the DVDs, or yes. you can like or if, or you can go to an anime club, or you couldn't necessarily find many other avenues. Like you were mm-hmm. done. And thanks to the fan subbing, uh, like boom that happened in the mid two thousands, it was able to have a semblance of a rebirth to bring people back into that and essentially be like one of the more highly recommended pieces on message boards around the time. Considering that people had been long standing and been in love with that series for over a decade. And they mm-hmm. wanted that to essentially get re-experienced out in the West and anywhere else to, for it to be even possible to be distributed. So mm-hmm. it's, so I'm definitely glad, like even throughout its literal over two decade run of like licensing hell, it was still able to at least have an audience that loved the product to that degree that they would essentially like keep it in the mainstay for as long as it did. And still like leading up to the future, actually have a good maneuverable and legal streaming service for it to finally come into fruition. Mm -hmm. And I guess like, and also talking about like how accessible it is now um, because it's now widely available on Netflix. And and like you said, it brings in a new generation, uh, a a new audience from a new generation. And I think now it's time for all, all of us to examine uh, the legacy that is the Evangelion franchise as a whole, um, with everybody, with fresh eyes. Um, so I guess where I kind of want to start is maybe quickly summarizing for people who haven't watched Evangelion. What is it like? If you were to describe it to somebody who wasn't, who had never watched it, and to give it a recommendation at its core, what is it about? It is a Hmm. It is many things because if, if you wanted for me to sum it up in like, if you wanted for me to sum it simply, exactly where it's just the simpler way to put it is just kind of like boy gets in the robot to save the world from impending destruction. Yes, like if, that's a very grandiose, like easy for people to digest and and semblance. But then it's if you wanted to like bring it through a little deeper in the sense or kind of give it a little more leeway, but not necessarily the best way for me to describe it, or at least get people on board. It's definitely 
about like self-inflection, depression, trauma, like, and learning to love yourself regardless of the circumstances and regardless of how people view you as a person. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And although it masquerades itself as uh, within the mecha genre of being, you know, getting a big robot to defend humanity against an uh, an otherworldly threat, um, the show quickly, it's it's very telling that the show quickly screen time for its characters in its uh, introspection and how they and character dynamics um yes fighting there are giant robots and they do fight and do big cool robot things but um that's just the setting the i think the true evangelion is in those interactions between those characters and through its introspection um because uh there's a lot of contention around how to view this series as well because you can read it through the narrative lens where you're examining the characters and what they do uh, and what act, what happens within the plot of the series versus viewing it through metaphor, um, especially if anybody's familiar with Hideaki Anno, the director and creator of Evangelion, and understanding some of his sensibilities. So uh, I guess, you know, where do we want to start off with Anno? No, it's, yeah, where to begin? Because, yeah, that's definitely one of the major points that we would definitely love to at least get across, considering that this is definitely a product of Ono and his circumstances. and In his, its entirety. And right. his, yeah, in his entirety, in the mentality, where he was at the time, how he was acting, like even, like, you know, on top of the fact that there were of the extenuating and external forces that were, like, moving outside of it in general, considering that, I guess to, just to note quickly, like literally in the same year that it debuted, like less than eight months prior, like Tokyo had literally just one of the worst earthquakes like settled in inside of the mainland in January of the year that it came out. And then literally two months later in March, it was a gas. It was a literal terrorist like gas leak or, or not gas, gas leak, attack. a gas attack inside one of the major Tokyo subways. And on top of being in that kind of state of mind in such a like negative and depressive bit that the fact that even at the end of the day, like speaking enough to his character that he wanted to give like some kind of hope or like talk to some of the people outside of that who were still living in the middle of a recession because the bubble had popped in like a lot of Japan was not in a good place in the nineties. It had yeah. been previously, but there were so many people that were just in in such a similar mindset as he was, and they essentially like used, they vented their frustrations and their outlooks, and they essentially did horrible things, just horrible things to people in that semblance. And the fact mm-hmm. that even even then, at the end of the day, that Ono, in his own like repressed and completely chaotic state of mind, the fact that he even had to like delay production to try and incorporate a more positive message into it, just to kind of like call out to those kind of people and just mm-hmm. say. Like it's, it's better. It's, it's really shitty here, but there are better things in life than this. And mm-hmm. it's definitely like a way to, um, it would be definitely something that I wanted to praise, but unfortunately he didn't necessarily get too much at the time, but we'll definitely get to that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Anno, so Anno got his chops as, uh, an, an like, a hmm. he started as an amateur, um, animator, uh, doing small little openings for Daikon 3 and Daikon 4, which are conventions in Japan that kind of celebrate animation as a whole. Um, and shortly after getting some praise for those opening themes, uh, there was a position off of a small studio that you may, you guys may or may not know, known as Studio Ghibli, uh, where <laughs> um, uh, there was an opening to work on the film project Nausicaa Valley of the Wind, 
Um, so Anno applied, and he was able to meet with and impress Miyazaki, um, uh, and was responsible for a lot of the background, the the more technical sort of backgrounds of of that of that film. And he was definitely like an up and budding um, uh, producer. Mm-hmm. He he had been he had had the experience like he like I said before he essentially like went through and he was very much not necessarily an auteur but he was so driven in the sense of to try and replicate the media that he enjoyed as a kid a lot of tokusatsu a lot of fighting robot stuff he ended mm-hmm. up going to Osaka University of Arts as an animator to go through yeah but th- spent so much of his time instead of like doing any of the any of <laughs> his work class. or any of his assignments or at least just doing yeah exactly like going to class he was he was like doing side projects he was working he was still working as like a part-time animator on stuff like super dimension to fortress macross for a mm-hmm. good like year on top of the fact he was as well as doing the opening animations for daikon as well as making his own like mini fan-made films on yes. top of his like small, yeah uh also yeah, like, his, his small little small um uh short film productions uh which really starts showing off at, like his uh artistic lens and his um his patent yeah 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 so he was like he was not ordinary for sure <laughs> to the point where he definitely just outgrew his semblance uh, like in terms of going not only his peers as as well considering that like there's a really uh, i can't remember if it's blue blazes or something along like there is a uh, like television series that that is kind of like based around him and his uh, like contemporaries when they were going to Osaka University, and it was kind of, which is like beside the point. But yeah, no, it's he had done so much work outside of what he was assigned to do that he was able to like go through and just make a living off of that on its own. Like, and going back to Nasca, the Valley of the Wind, yeah. he did do a lot of good backgrounds. He did a lot of in between. He did a lot of impressive cuts. The most the most impressive of which is essentially if there's one major cut that is very symbolic in the Nasca of the Valley of the Wind is when the dead Titan is revived and he's just this mulch and mess of just boiling fluids that are just trying to stick to this dead skeleton that is trying to move for the first time in centuries. And it shoots a beam very similar to Ultraman across the edge of the frame to create this giant explosion. Yeah. And like that cut in general is impressive on its own, but to the degree that this is like this was literally Otto's first major like piece of recognition in debut yeah. for that, and like that's that is ridiculously insane for him at that age and that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. He, I think, I think at the time he wasn't all that old. He was like maybe twenty four or something, like mid twenties, early twenties to produce something like that, where he had a solid understanding of like how this big massive uh humanoid creature would be moving how heavy it feels how slow and lethargic it has to like uh swing its arms or even just like the explosion itself and like the kind of uh, effects that you spill out from that um yeah god the weight that it carries itself across the screen it's just kind of like the fact that he he definitely took so much of that into account where I think he said like in an interview previous and you can see earlier that Anna was so much better at creating anything that wasn't human. So essentially the Titan, the majority of the bugs that go and crawl across the majority of this film's runtime. And for, and for one that of course gets highlighted at the end of the cut, he is really good at explosions. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like really good in almost every piece of 
work that he did from the from the uh, late eighties to the late nineties. He all there was always at least one cut that would be in every single piece of his work, and it would always involve an explosion, and it would always look grandiose and awesome. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Anyways, and we stopped paying yeah. tuition and got expelled. <laughs> Based. <sighs> My man just left. <laughs> he just <laughs> he just stood up and he was like, "Okay, uh, okay, I'm gonna head out." Yeah. He just uh, so did not. So after he did school, he went on to fi- uh, found, alongside his other um, student animators and peers, uh, Studio Gynax. Um, Gynax uh, was responsible for a lot of uh, really notable feature-length uh, animation animation pieces pieces or projects. Uh, so uh, they did uh, Gunbuster, uh, Nadia, uh, 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 yeah. Uh, Royal, Royal Space Force as well. If you ever seen the movie, um, mm-hmm. spectacular, um, spectacularly animated. And however, it uh, was a commercial failure. Uh, I think it was like the budget of eight hundred million yen versus a box office of three hundred forty, three hundred fifty million. So it's uh, as Eno's debut, uh, or like at least the the studio's first major production. It was definitely um uh, didn't start off on the right foot. No, it was, sure. it was not good. It was not good. Um, Which still so yeah. to this, yeah, it's it's definitely tough. Like even even in that kind of general, because now to this day, it is more of a cult classic. But that is the only negative thing about cult classics that are fantastic in in their own right. But they didn't make the money when they should have. It's yes. always it's always just like double edged sword. Considering that, like it's the Royal Space Force movie is a really like polished, well done piece of me- just mecha space force and uh, like just animation in general mm-hmm. even just did like- so well thankfully yeah. yeah thankfully like you said before gunbuster leading into it was their first commercial success and that was able to go through and it was able to like bring a lot more notoriety to the studio but of course better than notoriety a bit of money so yes. they were so they were able to go through and they made they were able to go through um like with their ovas and moving forward, they did Otaku no video. They did go through and they were finally able to essentially have that next big boost. They had the notoriety. They had essentially what was given to him was a script that was handed down in a concept by Hayao Miyazaki. And Nadia, it is a really good series. It mm-hmm. wasn't good for Anno in, in uh, more ways than one. It, uh, oh like, boy, it, it was really troubled. Yeah, he had... Um... So it was handed down to him from NHK, um, yeah, from original script by Anno. Oh, sorry, by uh, Miyazaki. Um, but he had very little creative freedom in order to express himself through this project. And that uh, ended up leaving Anno in an, in a state of depression for the next five or four years. Um, just feeling really burnt out being uh, the head of an animation studio and just having to deal with all the um, the hoops that he had to jump through. Because mm-hmm. yeah, it was it, it. It's a. I would still recommend like Nadia, considering it is a really good classic. It <laughs> sets up its world really well, and its characters are people that you want to root for. There's a little bit of like dastardly sort of like Team Rocket esque antagonists <laughs> that are going through the first like third of the fil- of the t- series? TV series, which isn't necessarily the best. Yeah, um, like they're not as um like as threatening, but it does get like it goes through and there's definitely like more people down the line who provide a much greater conflict and a much greater wall for the characters who experience. But like leading into that, Ono literally had to step away from the project for at least for 16 episodes. Like Ono, who was the director and was like trying to write 
the final conclusion of this story like literally could not like not only work on it but essentially like do his directorial duty so he literally had to hand it off um to another one of his uh, buddies over at Gainax while he was able to go through and i do admit that it was a really satisfying ending and it was a good conclusion mm-hmm. it really did a number on Anno essentially like leading through and on his psyche and essentially like taking a huge blow to his confidence where it's just kind of like his first like major long running television series and he couldn't direct the whole thing by himself so which was definitely mm-hmm. I could, which is understandable and a knock to his confidence. Even mm-hmm. worse, following up less than a year after Nadia was able to go through and complete its release, their next major project was going to develop a sequel to the Royal Space Force movie. And yeah. it didn't <laughs> even make it through the first four months of production because it just, they did not have the funds. They were going through a lot of like major issues with Gynax and taxes and essentially le- leading through and just before they could even get their legs off the ground, it immediately got cut. And so within the span of three years, like Ono has just been like, of course the anime industry fucking sucks and it's really easy for it to essentially like chew out so many like great like directors that came in and before it, it's just not the best, but yeah, it like Ono, Ono literally had nothing at that time. And this is where his famous bout of depression, like officially began. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess, like, upon getting an opportunity to create anything, I think it was um, an executive from Bandai who wanted to commission I to ask that he needs a TV series for a particular time slot, and Anno delivered. He just decided, okay, all right, you want anything? I'll give you everything. Um, and thus, he started production on Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, so it's, part of the sentiment of Evangelion is um, how he intended it to be an antithesis to a lot of the trends within anime at that time. Um, he wanted to create a series, a mecha series for that matter, uh, that uh, wouldn't be pressured by uh, sponsors um, in, in how he wanted to produce the, the, the figures or how he wanted to produce the series. Uh, he wanted it to be uh, a production that, that was difficult to market toys to um, because he wanted his own, uh, artistic direction to come through to essentially yeah to create a new create a world anew yeah (laughs) for sure and that was definitely if that was not the if that was not the goal at the beginning regardless he succeeded in the end because it's just yeah no it it, it was so rare for somebody to get like that much freedom especially like through the 90s where there wasn't a lot of money going in considering that a lot of (laughs) there was not a lot of money to be had in japan so yes the fact that it was able to at least be marketed through some form of merchandise was like its saving mm-hmm. grace. And the fact that it was able to go through and be that much original, like to have that be such an original piece of content in a world where that was essentially not frowned upon, but it's it was such a risk. Yes, from economic give, sensibilities, yeah. it was huge, right? To not only produce a story that's going to be uh, very difficult to market, but also just in terms of an audience perspective, that it's not exactly what anime uh, viewers would would conventionally want. Um, so, like, if you think about Bandai and Gundam and how they produce their stories and produce their uh, products, um, Gundam is essentially a glorified advertisement for the uh, the figurines or the or, or the small the model kits, yeah, models, right. Um, and Eva uh, Anno wanted to bring that to the antithesis of uh, with Evangelion. Um, even exploring the characters themselves uh, 
a lot of the series is a lot of the characters are conventionally unlikable. They're not your they're not your conventional heroes, so to speak. Um, no, it's a lot of them it, have their yeah. flaws, and yeah, it's it's just yeah, it's just a huge risk to put out in '95, especially in you know these hard, downturned economic times. Um, yeah, because this is not a story of an unlikely band of heroes like going through, coming together, and saving the day and saving the world from an impending threat. Mm-hmm. It is just a group of stressed out, traumatized like overwhelmed under like underappreciated just people flawed incredibly flawed people just mm-hmm. trying to just, literally just trying to live and just trying to get through it at the end of the day in a world that is already like featured a like it doesn't look it especially at the time with with how the first episode like lets it set up it's this great city a city that is able to like mold and meld and fold itself and can and condense into like such a almost like a fortress in mm-hmm. of itself a an urbanized fortress into a sense that it all looks great with the fact that the the fields are the fields are still like roaming the flowers are in bloom you're still able to go through a lot of this but it's so the fact that it's able to like set up that much of a world and still like undercut the fact that no this is almost post apocalyptic yes. the world has already gone through in this case, the world has already gone through one major, just earth-shattering event, and I think, it, and I can't remember if it was either in '99 or 2000 was the um, date for it, which was in this case the second impact, where mm-hmm. it's like they just ca- <laughs> they just casually mention that in in this time the second impact essentially like melted the entire polar the ice polar caps. ice caps in the south. Half of the Earth over the last 15 years has been wiped from the face of the Earth. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and not as their countries are not necessarily at war, but there's just so many like places that are so far worse off than others, and we're only getting a small pocket of this world. And of course, it is the center of it because that's where all the conflict is going to converse because of what lies beneath Tokyo. Mm-hmm. But it's still it's so casual in its delivery but still like op- optimistic and really like detailed in its sense of like building the world in the beginning that it's just so much, I, I guess it's, it's so different. It, it, it was so, there was nothing like Evangelion back then. Mm-hmm. There was, there was just nothing. Yeah. Um, the way that they focus so much on the characters inner workings rather than the actual narrative. Although the narrative itself is very interesting. There's a whole bunch of world building um, that, uh, if you pay attention in watching the TV series, you'll get a lot of those answers. Uh, but it's something that you can easily kind of uh, shrug off or not really regard all that highly. It's 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 a series that you're that rewards people who pay attention. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they so yeah, they, we're now in post apocalyptic uh, Japan. Um, half the world, half the Earth's population is gone, uh, and we're you know we're we're basically on the brink of destruction. In the past fifteen years, uh, everything has. Uh, basically, can can operate. A, lo- a lot of the needs are are satiated. Um, so you still have an economy, so to speak. Uh, people are still being able to enjoy their lives. Um, but high school is still a thing high because, of still course, yeah. even 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 after a post apocalyptic event, you would you know that <laughs> regardless if we're fucking teenagers or if you're in middle school or if you're in grade school, guess what? School is always going to exist, and you're always going to be forced to go regardless. Where it's just kind of like, oh yeah, no, just. You know, post-apocalyptic event literally just happened two weeks ago. Well, fuck, today's Monday, so yeah, 
guess uh, I gotta go back. Yeah. So, anyways, um, yeah. So the series, the very first episode starts off with Shinji arriving to this new city to go meet his estranged father, um, and immediately, uh, being immediately as as he's there, an angel attacks. So angels being this uh, otherworldly extraterrestrial uh, entity that seeks to uh, reach an object underneath Tokyo 3, which is the city that they're placed in, uh, and basically wipe out entirety of humanity. Um, and the angels, yeah. so They're the last line of defense. Last line of defense. Um, so, you know, this feisty, uh, feisty older woman, 29-year-old woman, scoops him up and says, like, hey, uh, need a ride? And I'm like, okay, all right. Things, things are gonna, yeah. pretty amazing. We're going to get out of here on this incredibly <laughs> rickety piece of shit car that I literally only have because, like, trying to buy a new one or covering the insurance would be a complete... <laughs> uh, just, just to, like, move forward, it's like, oh, man, on top of the... Well, to be fair, I will admit that in the first episode is probably the sturdiest piece that you've ever seen because it just... It casually just, like, rolls and, like, shug, shrugs off, like, a close, like, near-nuclear explosion that tries to, like, semblance on the Avas. Or not the yeah. Avas, the Angels. And they yeah. just like casually roll away. It's like, ah, oh, well, all right, just roll her back over, just crank the <laughs> a bit, and then we'll be able to like run this out and get you down into Tokyo 3. It's like, all right, well, I, I want to know what that car's been on. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, yeah. The Angels, it definitely sets up a lot of like prime pieces where the military is completely useless in that sense. The <laughs> amount of military just assets that are still going throughout the entirety of this world. Like you see battalions, you see fly, uh, like flying units and squads, nothing, not a scratch. Nothing. Armadas, like the Navy, the air force, the army, everybody, all, all these military entities are trying to put a dent in these angels and nothing, nothing phases it. Um, really setting the tone for the, this, that these entities are an ex, both a literal and existential threat to humanity uh and shinji is tasked to get in this giant robot that his father has procured for him in order to fight these monstrosities but here's the thing shinji is 14 he doesn't and and because of his his upbringing he has such a terrible relationship with people because he's essentially been abandoned by his father who is the director of nerve which is this uh this organization who's tasked with defending humanity against the angels um and he's got no friends. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, nothing. No positive relationships in his life up until that moment. Yeah, uh, and he's tasked to save the world by piloting this robot that he has no idea how to do. And you know, he's not exactly your gung ho shonen protagonist that rises to the occasion and is is actively really trying to to overdo himself. Uh, Shinji's like oftentimes on the verge of complete down. meltdown. Yeah, yeah. like. Like and understandably so, he's he's not you know a fourteen year old supposed to be responsible for defending an entire city. That's a that's a huge burden to face. Not 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 just defending a city, but defending humanity as a whole is huge. Um, what do you mean? The last fifteen years of anime and mecha series have like trained us to learn that <laughs> any early teenager can just walk into a machine of destruction and operate it to a competent enough degree for them to actually be able to go through. It's like, sure, they'll be able to like wobble around a bit, but then, you know, at some point in time, they're going to get their swimming legs and they're definitely going to be able to go out there and save the day. Jeez. That, that's a, but that's what we were taught. <laughs> so yeah, this is the, the very first episode highlights a lot of like the ideas 
that contrasts the its mecha contemporaries. Um, it's in a more grounded state of reality. More grounded state of reality. The tone is a lot more somber, and even a lot of its art direction is not as flashy as you know, uh, as maybe a, a series like Gundam would be. Um, there are a lot of shots that are large panning spaces to observe the landscape. Uh, there are a lot of still frames that are being held. Um, a lot of times where the characters just don't say anything and they're just contemplating, they're meditating on what to do or how to feel. And we, the audience, are encouraged to feel those feel those experiences with them. Yeah, you're forced to be in that moment with the characters. And while some would just argue where it's just kind of like, oh yeah, well, that's that's definitely a way that they were able to skip the budget where it's just kind of like, yes and no. Yes. Where, yes, that, that was definitely a good way because animation is always about compromise and it's always mm-hmm. about cutting corners. But then the fact that they don't just cut to a tree just to hold on it on the frame for about 10 seconds. But the fact that you are legitimately forced to get in and stay and empathize with these characters was definitely in the best way for them to use that kind of tactic. Mm-hmm. And it, which definitely just goes to show Otto's prowess just to kind of like go through and direct in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot more subdued, a little bit more subtle in its presentation. And I think that's part of the reason why um some people may be drawn away from it. It's not, it subverts your expectation of what Mecca should be. Um, and in, in, in its place, it shows you um, a tumultuous relationship with people. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It subverts your expectations about how your protagonists are going to be, especially one in, in as ingrained in the shonen genre that it was back in the 90s, where it's just, yeah, these are not your heroes. These are not people that you look towards because they're flawed and they're imperfect and they don't always make the right decision and they don't always come out on top, which is a very recurring piece that like yeah. goes throughout the series. Like these these are people. These are not characters, these are not tropes, these are not any other like archetype that you can just slot them into a piece and just say, "Okay, we're done." Like they are all fully fleshed out regular people coping with their traumas trying to essentially like live in this world that doesn't give a shit about them and it doesn't give a shit about you and how they're just able to just try and live through that in the face of all this adversity too Mm -hmm. yeah and moving along in the series we got to see a lot of um uh other other characters being introduced like ray um who is essentially getting the attention from Shinji's estranged father, Gendo, um, which boggles Shinji's mind because he's never got a lick of, you know, uh, positive reinforcement from him. Uh, and to see this other character um, getting the thing that he desires puts a lot of interest in this in in Ray. Um, Ray is kind of an interesting character because she doesn't really have her own sense of personhood at the beginning of the series. She kind of exists, kind of like a doll. Uh, doesn't have very many desires for himself for herself. And essentially just lives to fulfill Gendo's wishes. Um, and through her interaction with uh, her classmates and uh, Misato and company, um, and Shinji especially, uh, she's able to find a sense of being uh, unto herself, um, which we'll, we'll get elaborated on later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she's... She was definitely like one of the she yeah one of the many women that essentially come into Shinji's life over the course of the series, but it's definitely one that has a lot more connect weird 
just um, existential connection to him, which he doesn't essentially understand in the first. But mm-hmm. she is the, but she, yes, she is the gen or not the genesis, the um, reason why he steps into the Ava in the first place because he mm-hmm. feels like it. Because even though with Gendo and he already hates him, like he already just does not know why he would want to bring him back at the time when in reality, all just he just wants to use him. Like that's yes. it. I I have not seen you in eight years, and the first time I'm ever going to come and ask you for something over that entire time is just for you to pilot this because nobody else can. And yeah. it's just, guess what? And that's the thing. If you are not going to pilot it, I'm going to force Ray, who at this point was just like injured. anemic, injured, all like blind in visibly, one eye, had probably broken bones, just everything, just physically yeah. in pain, physically <laughs> and viscerally in pain. The only reason he ends up doing it in the first place is just for her. And it's definitely... One of the nicer things just to kind of see their like relationship grow beyond that. And essentially like that kind of relationship triangle that he does have with her and his father, considering that it's just like, what is it? It, it was either in, in like the second or third episode where he's getting back from the Ava, he's getting back from a mission and his father and her are both smiling and having a jovial conversation while he's just forced to watch. And he's yeah. just, wait a second. What? Who is who is she to him? She's not his daughter. I don't have like any other family like left with me. I lost my mother when I was young. Yeah. Why is like how did this one girl end up getting all the positive reinforcement I never got as a child? Yeah. And, uh, and thankfully they're able to at least reconcile and he's able to like look past her instead of like not being just for them to not just be tools for his father. They're at, they're actually able to go and like you said before find something for themselves, find something to live for beyond just piloting the Ava. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on in the series, like um, when they encounter their, I guess like after they, they encounter their first angel, uh, we cut to the scene, the episode later where Shinji just wakes up in a bed um, past all the action. And we're only told through kind of like a flashback of what transpired. Um, That's that, a ballsy first episode structure yeah. too. Like they just, all this, all this talk about like defending the angels, and these angels are these like indestructible, like uh, like pre extraterrestrial beings mm-hmm. that can only be fought by these one things. And Shinji gets just just a shit beat out of him, like in in the yeah. first half of that fight, and just having no expertise, no expectation or experience, like leading into it. And then the episode ends with them just cutting to him in the room and saying, "Oh, you beat it." It's like, what? Wait, what? Yes. Yeah, it, like, wouldn't that have been like the perfect like way to like bring action fans into the series in general to just like end it off on that kind of a fight, which they do end up like finally coming back to at the end of the second episode. But the mm-hmm. fact that he decided to hold on to that, and you're literally edging for like 15 whole minutes <laughs> for the entirety of episode two, like, yeah, look at all this destruction. Look at the state of the Ava. How did this fight turn out? How, why is it? And and the fact that he's able to at least like, sorry. The fact that he's able to just indirectly state in that moment that, look, the fights are cool. You're going to be getting a lot of like angel versus Ava fights. Mm-hmm. That's not the priority here. It's mm-hmm. going to be focused on the people. It's going to be focused on the relationships and the major implications of what those relationships will do leading into the series. That is going to be the major point. That is what Evangelion is all about. Mm-hmm. The fights are great. But this is what you need to focus on, and this is what should be important in your eyes moving forward. Mm-hmm. And the fact that um, 
within the second episode, we we cut immediately to to Shinji waking up and experiencing uh, his interaction and interpersonal relationships with all the other characters. Um, it helps us grow to appreciate what it means to pilot the Ava, uh, because towards the end of episode two, we got to see the flashback of what actually transpired, and it's like a very visceral life and death kind of battle that Shinji is desperately trying to fight against. Um, the Ava units require these uh, teenage pilots because they are able to synchronize with them the best um so child soldiers are an absolute necessity in this project um uh, the avon units also take on this sort of um presentation that they're not just machines that they're more like this ferocious horrifying beasts yeah beasts are definitely a way like animalistic it's not there. There, there's metal pieces of armor to go through with it, but everything underneath the armor is flesh and bone, blood and, and blood, and just visceral tissue and organs and everything. And it's like, what the fuck are these things? Yes, like it's and <laughs> on top of like the Avas in of themselves are just such a mystery that gets expanded upon throughout the rest of this. Because yes, it's a mecha series, but it's like, when was the last time something? or a machine hybrid of this vein was like ever brought into the genre as a whole Mm -hmm. is definitely like beyond me. And then leading into essentially the biggest, it's like, (laughs) God. And the worst part about these Avas is that look great. We're having all these pilots go in with some mental trauma. How about we switch it up a bit and give them some physical trauma too? (laughs) Because for, because for some God awful reason, any pain that the Avas feel in the in battles, just getting punched, a limb ripped off, getting scratched and bruised and beaten, bloody, all of the pilots feel that pain. Yeah. And what the fuck, Mono? <laughs> just yeah. why? Uh, and it's not even that we're just shown the external damage, external damage that the Avas uh, get inflicted on. We also get to see uh, in the entry plug, the, the basically the cockpit of these units, um, the pilots themselves feeling that pain and like yeah it, it, it kind of sucks to see shinji in that much pain or like any pilot to be in that much pain and we're supposed we're intended to sympathize with them um in the first like in that first scene um as as <coughs> as the av unit is getting its shit beat out of it um it awakens into like this ferocious roar uh and goes like like a predator hunting its prey goes after this angel and eviscerates it um and Shinji, for the most part, is unaware or unconscious of this of this fact, um, which makes that scene in the beginning when he wakes up in the hospital all the more uh, jarring. Because mm-hmm. at least it's at least it doesn't like mimic the physical trauma. Like if an arm gets ripped off, their arm doesn't get ripped off in tow, but the pain is there, and it's yeah. like all of all of your nerves are still like experiencing that kind of chaotic sensation, kind of visceral sting. And it's yeah. it doesn't make it any better for sure, but yeah, no, the fact that and so knowing that fact leading forward to like every other fight afterwards, you're just like there's whatever happens to those avas, like you can only imagine, and sometimes you don't have to imagine. Sometimes they just get, uh, put the camera in the cockpit and show just the absolute visceral pain that these people are going through, and it's just, but it's always something that makes you concerned. It makes you root for like root and just hope that these characters are going to be okay in the end yeah unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately not, to varying degrees yeah not even just to like sur- like to win triumphantly just to survive these experiences um because like if any one of these angels 
is able to succeed and take down these AV units, there's no amount of military force that's going to be able to stop them from wiping out humanity. Uh, it's like, every battle is kind of like life and death. It's always like cutting it really, really close. Um, you already know the military is worthless in this scenario. So it's just every single fight knows. It's like, if that's it, if you, <laughs> if you fall, so do we. That's it. That's it. it, it game over. Yeah. We're counting on you, Shinji. Shinji-kun. We're um, counting on you, 14-year-old child with no military experience. I guess we're really on our last legs, huh? Yeah. So, I guess moving from that, we got to... Ex- maybe let's explore some of the other characters that Shinji is adjacent to. So, we, we've covered Misato very briefly. Um, what would you have to say about like Misato's connection to Shinji? And why? why, why is it important, I guess? It's definitely... You know, yeah, it's tough in a way, considering that they're for, not necessarily forced, but it's Shinji has to like go and live somewhere. So, without knowing that him and his father have nothing to do with each other, it, like Misato was able to just open her open her doors in general, just to at least give him a bed, just to, like mm-hmm. give him some place to actually come back home to and actually live. Yeah. And it takes them a while, even even to the point where he runs away after his second fight and almost leaves the situation entirely. Just says, okay, I don't, I, I don't care. I can't deal with this. I, I, there's nobody. If like the, all the people at school hate me, Misato's just on the fence because she doesn't want to open up because just like Shinji, she has mm-hmm. trauma of her own. She doesn't know she's <laughs> it, like talking about tumultuous relationships with fathers I don't think there there are not too many good uh like uh parental figures in this series yeah. at all. Like it's they're very competent and they're very good at their job and they're like they're very experienced, but it's just kind of like trauma's everywhere. Everybody's yeah. everybody's fighting a battle that they don't want to share with other people because they don't want to them to get hurt and they don't want uh themselves to essentially like take on more pain in that in general. Exactly. Um yeah, in, and even the, the series to show off that aspect of Shinji's life, um, where he's basically living a civilian life at school, meeting other students and trying to fit into a home, so to speak. Um, Misato is kind of an un- where, she, yes, uh, Misato sh- houses Shinji, but and she tries to put on a lot of the facades of what you know interactions should look like. But Shinji isn't exactly a well socialized person, um, you know, for obvious reasons. But uh, and and Misato is trying her best to connect to Shinji, but uh, even Misato needs to put up some barriers in between herself and Shinji because uh, she has some insecurities and and fears of being hurt as well. Um, and the fact that the show focuses in in depicting those relationships is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. It's but it's still more than enough of like a not necessarily triumphant, but d- definitely satisfying to see them at least able to within the span, like, understand, like, they both almost have nothing but their work now, because mm-hmm. Misato is essentially, like, going through and living day by day, like, just drinking, tr- just drinking her sorrows away, because, like, as will be frequently alluded to, she's also got some deep-seated trauma with the relationships yeah. that she has with the rest of it, like, even, and that she can't necessarily, she doesn't want to become a parent, because the one the one like the two major parents that she had one of which was kind of just uh like more passive in the sense Mm -hmm. that misato's father was somebody who prioritized work over everything and her mother just didn't really want to uh, like cross that bridge and like try and keep the family together Mm -hmm. and so she has this conflicting 
back and forth between both of her parental figures and then ends up being at the site in Antarctica when the second impact occurs back in 99. <laughs> and the last thing that her workaholic, neglectful, and and not necessarily, and not abusive, but just mm-hmm. reluctant father, the last thing that he does, the, the only positive thing that he does to her is essentially like prioritize her over everything else. He doesn't want to save any of his work. His wife has already passed away, but he's essentially like shown that he has no priority towards any other member of his family. And in his last like one piece and last dying act, he saves Misato, which is just for a younger kid is like, oh, so how do I process that? Yeah, you can't. Uh, You (laughs) like Uh, her father uh, giving up his life in order to maybe not make right of all the things that he did, but at least show a level of concern to Misato is like definitely a lasting impression that's gonna leave her emotionally scarred for a long period of time so much so that after that event after she was saved from second impact by her father um she went into basically a she suffered aphesia where she wasn't able to communicate or speak to anybody for like maybe a year or so um and it took a long while for her to recondition herself basically her she she woke she awoken to to her father getting obliterated our world getting obliterated right and she was rescued by chance uh, by an expedition team that was investigating. Uh, and that's how she kind of got into uh, working for Nerve. And helping, and then, of course, trying to fight the angels mm-hmm. who were the <laughs> who were the form of research for her father. And yeah. so, like, why would she... And so it's just, okay, so if you hated your father, then why essentially are you trying to fight the angels instead? Of course, mm-hmm. if you hate your father, why are you actively searching out men that essentially remind you of him and yes. look and in which goes through in her like tumultuous and conflicting relationship with Kaji that she had when she ended up coming out of the coming back to the world? It's just all these are these are all like deeply like Freud. broken people and who are just fearful and traumatized and just are the fact that these are your heroes, quote unquote, and these are the people that are in charge of essentially like trying to save the last remnant of humanity is just kind of like, yeah, no, this is a lot more actualized and definitely something that even though it's not what you would want, it's just like, that's what you got to do. You got to make do with what you have. And they're all competent. They're all like really good at what they do. Like including the Ava pilots that essentially Mm -hmm. go through and Shinji does get experience and he does start learning and being more assertive and being able to control his Ava more, but shit happens. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, for her to take revenge on on the angels as well. There's there's definitely like a lot of Freudian influence that uh, is evident in in Anno's work that we'll see throughout the rest of the series. A lot of the um, emphasis for for father for father child relationships, uh, motherhood as well, where we're essentially um, well, we'll get we'll get into those later because mm-hmm. um, at least through the first seven episodes it's basically it's well the first 14 episodes are more like monster of the week format mm-hmm. and for the first seven episodes were essentially like put with like gendo is more like on the sideline just trying to like be menacing and have the most iconic hands front <laughs> of the mouth on the desk with the with the glare in the glasses just mm-hmm. refracting off the background it's like the most oh. just iconic passive sitting stance in, in inside of all of anime super um, like he definitely imposes like this menacing aura all the time super detached super and even positioned in frame as always being above others higher on a higher field literally on the top of 
nerve headquarters looking down on everybody else like he feels so distant as a character Mm -hmm. Um, and this is the man that we have to trust in moving forward with all the operations it's like yeah this is this is a little weird screwy this is the guy who's responsible for defending us against uh the rest of the angels um yeah so he's uh he's he's out there he's he's up there Yep, in the great words of bubbles from, from, from <laughs> down in the Canadian trailer park, as as such as we are, it's like well, something's fucky, yeah. and that and that entire just sentiment like bleeds throughout the rest of the series because it's just how deep does it go? What, like how like what is Terminal Dogma? What are the Angels? What are the Avas? Why are we fighting? Why are they trying yeah. to go to Tokyo in particular? Mm-hmm. And what like what happened? In the second impact, why is the third impact so destructible? Like, just there's so there's many, a lot of mysteries. A lot of it, yeah. Uh, Always something for you to latch on to. Mm-hmm. And it's never. And I like the way that the story is told, where we're not fed that information immediately. It's kind of sprinkled in in there um, throughout the series, and we get to kind of see it unfold slowly um, as these characters interact with that. Um, so it's fun. There's a lot to think about there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess in the first maybe. 14 episodes you mentioned that were kind of monster of the week um how did you feel about those i i personally really liked the fact that we got the time to see these characters in uh in sometimes lighthearted situations where we just get to see them interact uh as as people as civilians um mm-hmm. so like you know um after i think what like one notable scene that i really liked was um when shinji first goes to school and everybody's asking about there's a rumor that there's an Ava pilot uh, among among the ranks and uh, somebody asks the new kid who is Shinji if he was the Ava pilot and he immediately gets some recognition everybody around him turns to him and he but, just casually but, says because he just doesn't really know how to interact he doesn't ex- yeah. he doesn't think it's that big of a deal yes. it's like wait are you the Ava pilot and he's just yes and then everybody immediately just <laughs> flocks to his Drop. desk it's like holy which 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 is nice considering that it's able to give him like new methods because we know he doesn't have any friends we know that he was forced to move to Tokyo because of Gendo and he was all and he was very closed off as a kid and he didn't necessarily have many parental figures to go around and mm-hmm. so it's it's nice to have to let Shinji like grow and be in a better place where it does it is tumultuous it takes him a while to for his friends to just accept him and get to know him but eventually they do and they eventually like give Shinji like a life outside of being an Ava pilot mm-hmm. and it's essentially like really nice to go through and kind of like see mm-hmm. him evolve and like watch all these people just accept them mm-hmm. um well most most people try to accept him but uh it's also evident that there will be people that just don't or don't want to see him that way um one particular case would be uh Toji Suzuhara um where his sister was maimed in the in the first angel attack that we witness, uh, and Toji rightfully so is is upset by this, where um, he wanted more accountability for Nerve's uh, actions of the collateral damage. And upon hearing that Shinji is the pilot, goes out and rinses him uh, for not being a better Ava pilot uh, because his sister got hurt. And you know Shinji is empathetic enough that he understands at that point why why he would be angry why Toji would be angry in particular. Uh, and Shinji is still coming to terms with what it means to be an Ava pilot. Uh, it means that he has everybody else's uh, expectation and responsibility to uphold. And he is wielding such great amounts of strength. And he doesn't know how to feel about that. Um, 
you know, if you pilot the Ava, people, uh, maybe people will praise him, but people will hate him. And if he doesn't pilot the Ava unit, um, people will, will, will hate him. Uh, and he's caught between, you know, a rock and a hard place. Just literally this never-ending cycle of just, yeah, where it's like, I don't, yeah, it's like, I don't want to do anything because I hate myself, but I have to do, I have to pilot the Ava, and I don't want to pilot the Ava, but the Ava is the only thing that saves the world, and the Ava is the only thing that apparently gives my life value, and I want to connect with people, but I can't considering that I'm the Ava pilot, and now I hate myself, but I have to pilot the Ava. So it it just (laughs) keeps going and like round and round in this negative, negative circle, and it's, and this cycle, and it's so... And it's so tough to just like watch this kid just try and over and over again. Yeah, Um, just try and just find anything, and with all this expectation laden upon his shoulders, and it's just frightening. Yeah, Chinchi, you know, very reasonably runs away often, a lot of times within the series, not on just one instance, multiple instances. Um, you know, uh, upon like coming up to the second angel attack, um, if Shinji has kind of reclused and and drawn himself away from from everybody else he uses his cassette player uh to as a means for escapism where he just wants to shut everybody out because he doesn't know how to deal with it um and so and he also ends up trying to run away by get hopping on going around on the loop for hours and hours on end we see him start the day when there's still sunlight outside and we see him as he's on the last train car uh in the city and he doesn't know where to turn to um he spends a lot of time just walking around kind of aimlessly. Um, uh, and and through that, um, he was able to meet Kensuke, just playing, uh, reimagining a military sort of setting. And because Kensuke, uh, one of Shinji's classmates, is, is a military fanatic and seems that piling the AV unit is one of the coolest things ever. But uh, Shinji doesn't really see it that way. Um, and he doesn't really know how to relate to others who, who could see, that, see it that way. Um, Kensuke makes the one remark that, uh, or um, what should we call it? Uh, Shinji puts out the concern that uh, he should prob that Kensuke should probably be at home because his mother would would be worried about him being out this late. Uh, but Kensuke replies that he doesn't have a mother and that he's just like Shinji, and that's the first time that Shinji feels like the sense of solidarity and connection um, that somebody could understand him, and he kind of has an epiphany there where. You know, it's it's not just him who is suffering. There, there are many others like him. Um, so Shinji and and Kensuke grow to be friends and understand each other in that manner. Mm-hmm. And to yeah, and to a degree, Toji as well. After yeah. being able to, because yeah, he, it's it's definitely understandable, like how that kind of hatred like goes through, and ha- he has such a trialing issue, like uh, yeah, just a troubling like first impression with a lot of the people in class. But as it as he moves forward, and as they like kind of understand, like even through that second angel attack, having both of them like forced to like be like yeah, in, to- in the, uh, Toji. So, um, upon the second angel attack, Toji and Kensuke are out skipping the, uh, uh procedures that they have, uh, and just want to go out and see the, the angel and the AV units fight. Um, but inadvertently end up getting, g- getting caught in between the bi- battle. And Shinji is there in the cockpit fighting and defending, Kensuke and Toji against this angel that's attacking, like guarding their lives. And the only way to do so was to allow um, Toji and Kensuke into the pl- um, the entry plug that Shinji is piloting in, uh, and to see firsthand what it feels like for Shinji to to fight these monstrous beings. They get a firsthand experience of the sort of mental trauma that uh, Shinji experiences, where he's screaming, and you know, just by almost barely 
getting by and fighting and defeating the angel within um, seconds within seconds of the remaining uh power supply that the avas have um he kind of breaks down and Shin- and shinji's just exhausted mentally and physically he's just crying <laughs> inside the cockpit with with uh toji and kensuke who are visibly you know uh empathetic to shinji now now they see the struggle that he goes through and uh have a new kind of perspective and respect for him um so much so that that toji who first rinsed and beat up shinji for for piling the eva allows shinji to return the favor and punch him uh at, for shinji to punch uh toji as as form of uh, retribution um yep, reconciliation we can reconciliation. do this to be friends yeah and actually just be even yeah and you know toji also makes a remark to say don't hold back um and through both that that exchanges they're both smiling because it means that the uh following the punch that shinji delivers it solidifies their connection to each other and shinji has now formed uh his first few friends um uh and then sh- shortly after that interaction he's scooped up by nerve agents um for shinji to do other sort of tests and duties um but shinji makes the remark that or or yells out to toji and kensuke that uh he understands and recognizes his flaws that he's a coward uh and and <clears throat> that he's a coward and scared and weak um openly acknowledging his flaws and i think that takes a great amount of maturity and humility um kensuke and toji look on and with concern because they understand what it feels like now and yeah it's it's got just kind of tragic mm-hmm. um so it means that in, and through this interaction uh, interaction we get to see shinji being aware like very self-aware of of how people may perceive him or how uh his attitude or or presentation might affect others um shinji very much is a people pleaser he doesn't want to make things difficult for others because it's the easiest way for him to get through life um and he ends up having a lot of bouts of not getting a sense of his own desires he just goes with the flow whether or not it's whether or not he enjoys it nope he just does not want to be a burden if anything else yeah he doesn't want to he yeah he doesn't want to fail he doesn't want to be a burden he doesn't want to essentially like go through and not and waste the only bit of positivity and reinforcement that he's ever going to get or that he's even able to come to terms with in his life so it's just really difficult to kind of like see him go and through and maneuver that but in it does take a lot of strength to go through in that vein to essentially at least like move forward Mm -hmm. and moving forward is definitely something that regardless of how much shit gets thrown at him shinji still is able to go through and trial and try on otherwise which is definitely, which is definitely one of the nice, like under undercut pieces of his personality, but and probably mm-hmm. one of the only pieces of shonen. If, if you're looking for shonen, then that's probably one of the only major ones that you can have in, yeah, uh, for for a connection. But you know, he, it gets better for him yeah. for a time. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so moving on from that, we get to, uh, maybe towards the let's see, maybe the ninth episode where we finally get an introduction to the next Ava pilot. Um. I think Asuka. yeah, eighth. Yeah, the eighth episode. Eighth episode. Uh Asuka debuts as uh as one of the, the second child, I believe. And she um <laughs> she makes a loud impact. She's definitely the antithesis to Shinji, where if Shinji Ooh. is quiet and meek and you know reserved and subtle, 
uh asuka is the exact opposite where she's loud demands the attention of everybody and wants to be praised for her 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 skills and experience as a pilot yeah yeah Yeah. um so it's kind of refreshing super feisty even the design of her unit so um so if we contrast ray against uh asuka we can see that they're they're opposite and complementary to each other they're foils to each other uh even right down to their character design where ray has blue hair asuka has red uh even their eyes are opposite to each other where ray has red eyes and asuka has blue eyes uh even to the design of their personalities where again ray is uh without any sort of ambition or outwardly expression asuka demands has huge ambitions and wants everybody to know of her expression um the a the av unit designs av unit zero versus av unit two where um unit two is this big bright red four-eyed you know uh piece and where uh ray's av unit is this almost blue very one-eyed uh piece and yeah they're just they're good foil characters uh shinji i would place kind of somewhere in the middle between the two and we're used these three, we use these three characters as reference points against each other. So I don't know. Asuka in general is just she is the fiery, just reinvigorates drive, passion and force behind a lot of it, but all for the wrong reasons, unfortunately. Because yeah. yeah. like everybody else, she's incredibly flawed, flawed and doing this for all the wrong reasons. Because just like everybody else, the trauma that she has also experienced is completely and utterly unfair and disregardative of a child of her stature mm-hmm. oh, because just everything because it's it's really like interesting like going off of her two um going off of her two introductory episodes like being possibly like two of my favorite ones of the series where first she's literally being introduced as an ava pilot not only like being part German, not only being able to at least like go and like transition between that and Japanese. Yes. But that with Ono being enough of a like military, not on of itself, it's just kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. it would be cool in the middle of this like existentially like traumatic dread filled, like post-apocalyptic bit. How about we just have our, um, let's just use our mechas, throw yep. them in the middle of the ocean and have it use aircraft carriers as hopscotch pads. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and just and ah. and shove and what is it? Shove a sunken battleship into an Ava's mouth or into an angel's mouth and fire, fire off the the torpedoes and the ordnance that are already still lying dormant inside of the machine. It's like yeah. okay, that's pretty baller. <laughs> and the whole and then the whole leading into which is really cool, kind of like um, what is it? It's also really cool going through the next episode, like kind for his like one moment because he did have like a connective moment with. Ray leading into her and having them work as a team, and now both of them are forced to work as a team, trying to th- trying to fight this Ava who is split into two. Yes, into like one of the yes. like uh, w- like one of my favorite like sections. Yes, yeah, because what is it? It was like either sixty to ninety seconds long, and it's just gotten box like playing in the background with with both of them going in perfect synchronicity to essentially yeah. go and defeat this twin angel. Yeah, like leading up to it, because yeah, like her introduction is definitely one of the stronger ones that she's got. But then, of course, like the rest of them, she's got just as much trauma to just go toe-to-toe with everybody else, which is definitely not something that you would want to brag about in any semblance of the word. Mm-hmm. I also find it kind of neat, also in those uh, episodes where they ha- she has to work alongside the other 
pilots uh we get to see those character dynamics um come to play and yeah it's just it helps us further understand ray's sensibilities and shinji's sensibilities around such a pointedly obviously <laughs> very over the top sort of character uh where she's constantly seeking validation and affection for him from everybody else including shinji and the reason why she even bothers with like talking with shinji is because she can uh because he can pilot an Ava, which is already like a big feat for for most people. Um, and apparently, his synchronization tests were like forty percent right out of the gates, not piloting it ever. Where Ava, where um, Asuka had to like really work towards even just getting that high. Um, so it means that now, now uh, that Shinji is is worthy of Asuka's uh, evaluation. Mm-hmm. Especially how that conflicts with their relationship with her, like not necessarily. She she is incredibly flirty and like off the beginning to go through just to try and find some sort of connection with the rest of it because like mm-hmm. her entire Kaji. like fu- yeah her entire fucked up like thing with Kaji which a lot of which is normal in a lot of girls to just go and seek mm-hmm. not seek out older men but essentially like fantasize and and yeah and immaturity and find that maturity in somebody like through that semblance but then of course like Kaji having absolutely having Kaji, absolutely nothing to deal with her. Like, yeah. <laughs> he just... Uh, Kaji being the yeah. gentleman that he is, is like, no, you're still a child. Get get real. Which um, definitely gets under her skin based on, like, the trauma that she's experienced because of the maturity that she was forced to go through at a young age. Mm-hmm. Just being, like, trying to... Un- yeah, abandonment. Trying Not to understand wanted. just why. Yeah, like, yeah. why don't you want me? Why don't you care about me? Don't you see how much I care about you? And it's just, mm-hmm. I can't. I and cannot give you this satisfaction and I cannot give you this kind of affection that you feel like you deserve. I just mm-hmm. can't do that. Yeah. Even like contrasting against her mother where Asuka desperately wanted her attention only for Asuka's mother to basically be in a catatonic state where she's delirious and suicidal and had a doll that was a surrogate to um, or substitute for her actual daughter, which she ended up hanging anyways. Uh, literally that's... just projecting her own daughter onto just a, a, a regular doll. doll and having and just literally having uh what is it um like just having her forced to go through and watch that and going to the point where she walks in moments after her own mother's attempt like quote-unquote double suicide where not only would she have killed herself if if she really did treat oscar as her own daughter she would have hung Asuka with herself yes and it and it's just kind of like so on top of that like speaking of speaking of shitty parenting inside of this entire franchise or entire in this entire series because it's like after that accident she doesn't have a mother she only references her in the third person like only to an inanimate object Mm -hmm. her father has an affair with one of the nurses who's taking care of his quote-unquote comatose wife that happened in the hospital that literally just happened in the hospital. Oscar has a really fucking bad track track record with, with hospitals, and that's a very bad joke <laughs> of mine. Um, but it's and so she's essentially abandoned. She they try to. It's not like they abandoned her in the in the most literal sense because like her father and her now stepmother try to bring her back in and try and treat her like this, but she's so like enough of a product of her like trauma, like going through that piece of premature maturity she doesn't play with she doesn't want to play with anything she doesn't want to meet friends she doesn't want to make other she doesn't want to like try and connect with other people she just wants to live 
for herself, and she only wants to go through and succeed in a manner that would be befitting of no of like no fewer than just her. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she she seeks that she seeks that approval she seeks that because she had she had such a deeply rooted relationship with her mother before the accident that it was that much of a harder drop when she was never able to like bring that back and to the point where she would literally have to walk moments after her mother's own suicide and to just try and process that as a child would just yeah. not be possible yeah <sighs> there's there's a lot to unpack about Asuka's abetment tendencies, um, which we call it. But yeah, her introduction, definitely a bright point in the series. It's it's also very fun. We get to see like sort of the dynamics play out between uh, Shinji and Misato living at home and how Misato's like otherwise a slob in Shinji's presence where Shinji is now the roles are reversed where he's sometimes the caretaker taking care of the household responsibilities. And then yeah. on top of Asuka's introduction where they're now where she's going to be living with Misato and Shinji alongside uh, alongside them, uh, we get to see those dynamics play up a little bit more. And because of how um, obnoxious Asuka can be, there's a lot of like uh, kind of drama that ensues between their 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 boundaries. Because um, mm-hmm. at least it does bring out a bit in Shinji because he doesn't he has no power and no potential to essentially stand up to anybody else at nerve or with anybody else but it does the one good thing that asuka is able to bring out of him is that he's able to be forceful and he's able to like stand up for himself to any certain because yeah. she is a she is definitely a brat and she keeps like pushing her insecurities onto shinji but it's she's like one of the only people that he feels like no fuck this i can actually stand up for myself i'm i might be i might hate myself in such a negative connotation but <laughs> At least I can defend myself to that degree on being a pilot, on being a person, on being the only semblance of a mature one inside of this household. Because mm-hmm. neither of you two can cook, <laughs> and neither of you two can essentially take care of yourselves because you've got so much shit lying around. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. no, I'm going to at least affirm some sort of superiority inside this household. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's neat. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just showing 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 the slice of life household aspect. Of Evangelion is really cozy in the first fourteen episodes. Um, I I like it because it helps to see our characters in more states of being other than just being tense and depressive. Like there's some level levity that's um, that's folded in there, and that's nice. The fact that we got like our you know our <laughs> duet episode in episode nine, where they both pilot in synchronization to each other to defeat an angel, super fun. Even the way that they're comically uh get their shit <laughs> shit kicked is is also fun um mm-hmm. yeah i don't know the first 14 episodes were, were just fun we, we even got like the episode where uh all power gets disconnected from the from tokyo 3 and the av units and they kind of have to like manually re- just manually do everything across the uh, across the entirety of the uh unto- across the entirety of the compound yeah yeah and then through it um we get to see Gendo and Fuyutsuki like basically in their underwear just trying to stay cool and like them being the stoic beings that they are it's it's, it's a lot of fun they can't, they can't break character <laughs> yeah, <it's>, yeah. <laughs> like, even through the majority of this and he's just sweating his entire like semblance in uh in, in mass it's just kind of like um no I will stay in this yeah. foreboding stance I will continue yes. to keep up the facade and it's yeah. just yeah it has those nice light-hearted moments and it proves that 
it's not all because even though the world is on like the brink of another apocalypse, there's still some there's still some good to be had, and there's still some semblance mm-hmm. of fun left in the world. Mm-hmm. That all goes out the door starting on episode fifteen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the first half. Like a, which is still definitely like a monster of the week, setting up the world, setting up the characters, giving you all the mysteries and having it all like lined up in front of you, but still having that levity. You're not really going to get that. <laughs> you're not, yeah. it, it's not going to go moving forward. Like yeah. it's, it just gets, the angels get more complex. Mm-hmm. Their fighting styles and their patterns, as well as their methods become a lot more visceral and complex conflicting and complex and just guttural. Yeah. And, uncomplacent with the rest of it yeah. it's like yeah no it, it like it just it, it just does not stop <laughs> um i would say because like the biggest you'd kind of see the setup through 15 but then it's just kind of like the first one which i think the it was episode 16 where it's the angel with lele the one that has like the like um three nanometers thick and it uh and it actually casts a sh- uh a direct like uh a- yeah, exactly. It's but its actual like body, body, the angel, is a sphere in the sky. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in that episode, it's like it's it really heavily draws into uh, abstraction, where Shinji is basically in his own mind, um, basically trapped within this womb. Right? There's a lot of like the very clear imagery where the entire AV unit is trapped within this big sphere, this big fleshy sphere. Uh, although that and that the AV unit is either trying to communicate or or consume the Ava with Shinji inside, um, and he's just kind of forced to hold out for as long as he can. Uh, he's supposed to stay within the Ava unit until his oxygen supply basically depletes entirely, uh, and Shinji just has to sit there with his own thoughts and and wait to die essentially because there's nothing they can do um, outside of that that sort of uh, confinement. Uh, everybody else is desperately trying to like save Shinji from being eaten up by this thing. Um, and where and this is the first time where we get to see breaks between Ritsuko and Misato's relation, where Ritsuko has obligations to Nerve as priority in saving the AV units, where Misato prioritizes saving Shinji as a pilot. Um, and that's uh, yeah, that's where they start to have some pretty strong disagreements. They start to break for sure. Definitely. A lot of things start to break leading into yeah. this. Yeah. Um, so, and even though Shinji is able to survive it, it's not the last piece of trauma that's essentially heading his way. The fact that one of his only, uh, yeah, one of his only friends leading into this then ends up getting chosen for Ava pilot number four mm-hmm. as the fourth child for Ava unit three. Yeah. Ava unit three gets infected. Ava unit three goes on a rampage, completely, ira- completely like bulldozes yeah. over both Unit Asuka zero and, and two. Yeah. Yeah. And so Shinji is, but it, like, of course, you would think, oh, well, like, how does Shinji not know who's piloting it? How does he, how do they not know? But he only knows that it's being piloted by somebody. By even though his, even, yeah, he knows it's being piloted by a person, but of course, nobody's going to tell him the fact and nobody has to break it to him. Only his father is just, look, that is not an angel. That is not a person. That is a, or that is not an Ava or a person. That is an angel. And you have to destroy it. Destroy even it. though, even with Shinji not knowing that it's one of his only friends being inside the cockpit, mm-hmm. like Shinji still like, shows concern matter. for a person. Yeah, his level of humanity and compassion. That despite you know being as secluded and and recluse as he is, he still wants to be a good person. But sometimes it's just forced to do to make poor choices. Uh, and it's, it's tragic because like 
uh, Shinji openly uh, rejects uh, the idea that he'd have to kill another person to his father. Um, so much so that he'd be he'd rather die than than do it. And there, Gen- Gendo takes his uh, puts his foot down and says, "All right, if you won't do it, we'll get the plug uh, the dummy plug system, uh, basically a surrogate pilot to do it in place of uh, in place of you." So exactly, so kind AB of like unit. an AI, yeah, yeah. The, almost an AI bit that was transcribed inside of um inside of say or what is it inside of um Nerve by the Magi, essentially mm-hmm. going through and like having as soon just so they can as a failsafe if the pilots either can't fight or die in the middle of battle or they or something mm-hmm. something goes wrong that they were able to use it, but mm-hmm. of course because this is Ava, the first time that it actually has to be used is because Shinji would literally rather die than kill another human being. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, we can't eject you. So <laughs> unfortunately, this is the route that you chose. So now not only are you going to have to watch as this happened, your arms are going to be locked in place. So you're also going to have to feel the ferocity of your own Ava ripping the other one to shreds. Mm-hmm. And he has to watch. He has to witness this firsthand. He's literally in a first person perspective, watch his own Ava like just completely and utterly eviscerate and grind and com- tear apart this thing that you know that we know is housing Toji. Yeah. And of course, Shinji doesn't know until the very end of the fight that the, was the fourth child would have was one of his only friends. Yeah. And that he's and that he almost killed him. Yeah. And it's and and that kind of like exactly that kind of just like uh, one of the only and so just like Misato's and um Ritsuko's relationship starts to strain, it's not mm-hmm. like all of Shinji's relationships go the same way, but almost all of like starting here, this is where his relationships with all the people that he's built up, with all the people that he's learned to like care about and hang out with over the course, they're going to disappear mm-hmm. one by one. Because this is the last time he's ever going to see Toji. This is the, because he's going to have to go into intensive care. He's yeah. never going to be able to like even face him because yeah. he wouldn't have been able to make the choice. Because of course, mm-hmm. he was. You're forced to make tough decisions. Shinji could have fought. He could have tried to incapacitate it to a degree to make mm-hmm. sure that it wouldn't have gone to it. But he just couldn't. He just yeah. shut down because that's because <laughs> trauma is trauma's a bitch. Yeah, it really doesn't. It really doesn't give many people many outs or many different uh, choices mm-hmm. to make in the middle of that. And so, at the so this is the beginning of one of the disappearances of one of his many relationships. Mm-hmm. Fun little fact about that whole uh, scene as well is that uh, Toji, uh, although you know severely injured, only ends up losing a leg from this incident, um, and that pays homage to Anno's father, who uh, whose father got his uh, leg. Um, damaged in a, in a lumber in a sawmill in a accident. accident yeah 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 so it's kind of eh, i mean it's an interesting sort of um interesting like trivia. specific <laughs> yeah it, like a, a very uh, specific injury for this one character as kind of like a nod but yeah i guess yeah. that was definitely him yeah um so it's it's telling that Anno draws a lot of influence from from his own personal experiences in life and puts it into a um you know for in in all variety of um, so from this point, we get to see not just only Toji start to deteriorate and the relationships between Misato and Ritsuko deteriorate. We see the other pilots also deteriorating. Uh, Rei coming to terms with how she feels about just being, just existing, uh, and being surprised by um, that she's able to feel emotions. Or maybe not emotions, but desires um, that she's not aware of. 
Um, I think it's in no. Um, should I say here? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Basically, there's the sixteenth angel that appears, and it takes the form of a long white kind of like snake, essentially an umbilical cord. Um, that tries to merge and connect to the an- the angels. Uh, so it makes it really dangerous to to interact with this uh, this angel, and um, even holding on to it, it, it attempts to merge and communicate with the pilots, um, which is da- which is super dangerous. Um, so Ray uh, goes through this process where uh, the with and uh, she's kind of has to figure out what it is that she's feeling, uh, her desires to be with Shinji, and yeah, just her her states of connection. And um, in seeing that that this angel is a danger to, or threat to Shinji, she angel into herself and detonates the core in order to save everybody else. Um, she has a flashback to Gendo, one of her only other connections to the world. Um, and seeing this from the sidelines is, is tragic. It's she like on the sidelines in, in Nerve headquarters, uh, you know, after the explosion, they mark uh, that it's... Um, it's now a reconnaissance mission if anything happens. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, just all of it is just, like, deteriorating one by one. All of all of Shinji's relationship that he's actually, like, been able to, like, struggle and keep together just kind of, like, <laughs> start to vanish and go through and not everything. He's able to at least have one final, like, hurrah mm-hmm. and essential because he was, after being, after, like, forcing himself to go and, like, tear through Toji, it's just... He does it like he ends up like trying to leave again, but this time it's just kind of like okay, let him go. He's 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 nothing to us anymore. We have the dummy plug system now. It doesn't necessarily matter. Just go and let him let him be, and essentially let him do what he wants. He's just a petulant child that's throwing a tantrum, even though it's it's literally a, a child that was forced to like watch one of his only friends get massacred. But you know what? That's just kind of how cold, distant Gendo is in mm-hmm. in semblance. Um. um yeah, I, I think like even just taking on like the grander scheme of things from Geno's point of view, it's it's a necessary uh, cost that humanity just has to take on because this is an existential threat for the entirety of the race, not just the the handful of individuals. So, um, is is Gendo justified in taking these means? Debatable, but it, it's definitely not a great case for every, anybody else who's around him. Yeah, it's never the case. It's just yeah, everything kind of starts. Like, everybody starts losing somebody, everybody, like, starts going through, and there's not really, and like you said before, the angels definitely, like, start getting more malicious in their ways to essentially, like, start fighting the rest of the angels. And I mean... Like, episode 19, where, um, basically, there's a, there's an angel that's out there in, in, out of, out of orbit, a low orbit, uh, and it's beaming in rays uh, of light, to attack or communicate with the uh, the AV units, and there's nothing they can do other than try to launch like long range projectiles against it. Um, and even if they do hit, the, their AT fields are essentially so strong that like no one can pierce it. And that that's definitely yeah. The AT fields like in general are also like a huge like a huge description in of themselves because just kind of like the just kind of like the AVAs, the angels have these fields that are incredibly powerful incredibly just not necessarily dense but protective over the course of all of them and so they're able the, that's one of the reasons why the angels are the or the avas are the only ones to fight the angels considering that no 
human-made piece of ordnance can break through the AT field. And yeah. it's only utilizing the AT fields that the Avas have within themselves that they're able to break it, and they're the only ones that can essentially like fight. And they're the only mm-hmm. ones that they're able to go through. And on top of that being like a a duality as well as a kind of like connection to just the kind of fields that people put up around ourselves to essentially like uh, keep it to keep people at bay and to make sure to not let anybody in, to not let anybody else like experience our own Mm -hmm. traumas to kind of give that um, physical manifest in like the powers that be relating to uh, the Avis themselves. Mm -hmm. And so Uh, it's definitely kind of cool how those kind of like sync around, but it's, it's definitely nice to see that that's kind of how they, how they're the ones that um, end up doing the, uh, what is it? Mm, uh, well, okay, yeah. Uh, so, like, the the AT fields themselves are, like, a short for absolute terror fields. Um, so it's either... So, in series and in metaphor, it is, you know, um, basically the barriers that we place between ourselves for our own individuality to protect our uh, our sense of existence. And it manifests in the series as a means of defense against the angels as well as other people. Um, so it's, it's an interesting concept uh, presented both literally and figuratively between the characters and the angels themselves. Um, yeah. So basically the Azrael, I think it is, uh, is, is out in low orbit, uh, shooting a beam of light against AV unit two. Asuka is in the cockpit trying to take out this angel and she's bombarded with a psychological attack um that traumatizes and incapacitate like so much so to the degree that it incapacitates um Asuka um and that after getting orders to to retreat uh she'd say Asuka is in such low mental state that she says that she'd rather uh die than be saved by somebody else um or more specifically being saved by Ray um because now in recent events, Ray had been getting more praise and attention from her peers than than she was, and she feels inferior now as as a result of it. Because uh, it's like been such a long time since Asuka's felt like any semblance of success, especially yeah. on her own. Yeah. Like she she was able to defeat an angel before heading over into it, but the last two angels that she essentially successfully defeated was with the help of Shinji. And every single piece of that, like, kind of breaks away at her psyche, like, breaking away at her sense of worth and, like, leading into the rest of it, just try trying to come to semblance with she doesn't want to forge connections, but the only way that she'll be able to save herself is by actually, like, taking on and asking for help, Mm -hmm. which is very difficult to do, like, not only in the show, but, like, outside of it in general, but she never tries to come to terms with it. She never tries to, like, go through. She just suffers defeat after defeat after defeat where she's always just thrown away and discarded by -hmm. every other angel that she has come into contact with. And so this was on top of having on losing her synchronization rate with her own Ava, this would have been like, she thought this was it. Like if I can't beat this on my own, if I can't do this, then I'm just not even worth it, which is just more than enough of a tragic piece considering that ultimately she does fail here too in what is possibly like one of the most like traumatic semblances of uh, like cuts and scenes like in, in anime in general. Like if you, if you want to literally uh, visualize a just complete mental breakdown of a character, it's just like the agonizing four minutes or so of the angel just prying apart 
Asuka's psyche just like piece by piece, all of her insecurities, all of her trauma, all of her like mishaps and disconnects that she's made in this world. Like it's just, yeah, it's not a, it's not a good watch. And, like, and it is. We're laid to bear witness to Asuka's Asuka's expression in in all that, where she's just screaming in pain uh, for what she's about to endure. Um, and yeah, it's really uncomfortable to watch. Um, the like the use of Ode to Joy in the background is also con- contrasting against uh, how we should be feeling. This is um, yeah, th- I mean, music choice in this this series is fascinating because um, you know Ode to Joy being a very triumphant, uh, very expressive, almost like um, yeah, up up uplifting piece of music to be set against such like the disparaging experience that Asuka has to face is is interesting mm-hmm. there's just way there's just a lot of yeah a lot of like good pieces of music that essentially like goes through and leads into it i mean the the battle themes definitely kind of like line up pretty well especially the with the first half of the series like being it a good introduction into the threats that all mm-hmm. of them essentially have to face even though it sounds incredibly eerily like uh like a james bond uh yes. <laughs> like one of the yeah. james bond pieces it's tempting um, on top of yeah. that yeah, mm-hmm. that's it's a sort of vein, but it fits like the military sort of theme uh, of the series. Uh, like maybe not marching band esque, but it's very like, but like a lot of drum lines feel very um, military esque, um, and a lot of the character pieces as well are filled with a lot of string sections, um, string and and brass sections. So it's I don't know, it's good. I I praise the OST wholeheartedly. If uh, you get a chance to like just listen to it on its own. It uh, it really helps quality of the series, um, and even some of the original pieces as well. The original tracks are written uh, with a with um, Anno's uh, direction as well. Uh, the lyrics and how she'd feel uh, were translated by were translated into English and adapted into into their own songs, which are you know phenomenal. I love them, uh, but we'll get to those later. Because yeah, <laughs> they're because after because after that just absolutely traumatic like traumatic is definitely an understatement <laughs> uh just forcing her to kind of go through like that kind of semblance and it's kind of like Asuka just never like leading into this into the movies like Asuka just past the early episodes she doesn't ever find another victory after mm-hmm. this like she has she she doesn't have like a single she's thrown in as being this solo uh just passionate and driven entity that doesn't need anybody's help and is able to like go and combat the angels on her own and she never gets any kind of solo um just just solo victory throughout mm-hmm. the entirety of the series just which consistently breaks her and leading into the point where the all the angel the last out that the angel ever gives to Oscar to stop the pain is to literally just accept the fact that you're lonely and that you're looking for a, con- a connection and that you're looking for people to essentially bring in and actually accept you for who you are. Mm-hmm. And, but because of her stubbornness and because of the amount of individualism uh, that she wants to project onto others because of her sense of abandonment, um, she cannot accept help and she cannot, she has strong abandonment issues for very good reason. And she just won't accept it because she's afraid of being betrayed or being left alone like her mother did mm-hmm. which then forces ray to step in to use essentially their trump card to destroy the ava 
and cast it out into space, which is the Lance of Longinus. I, I'm going to call it Longinus. I'm never going Longinus. to accept Longinus. <laughs> I understand that. The, I understand that the technical pronunciation that even though Netflix went out and went through and decided yeah. to go through Longinus, I still I still can't accept that pronunciation because it's just so <laughs> so off the wall and so out of the ordinary. But so suffering from a case of Longinus. Christ, it's just. Like, I, I thought they were taking the piss, but it's just like, no, the majority of the pronunciations through historical texts, through generals and through Roman sense, so they, they mm-hmm. call it Longinus. But then I also found several other videos and several other, like, essays to go through, and they call it Longinus. And it's just kind of like, well, I'm going to I'm gonna take the one that doesn't sound like a gynecology uh, <laughs> term. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep it as, as Longinus just to keep my sanity intact. Make it a thing. Which is... Got a case exactly. of long, Longinus. Basically, man. Jesus. Um, cause yeah, it's the, the Lance of Longinus is essentially this weird MacGuffin that they have been able to keep down in terminal dogma that goes through AT fields. And so that was the only way that they can do it. But mm-hmm. unfortunately to that point, Ray is able to defeat the angel much to Asuka's chagrin. She goes into clinical depression. So she's dragged off that she can't even operate her Ava anymore. No. And, and literally just the one after with, with, uh, because like Kaji's already died because of his um like espionage and saw this bit, so Misato's in a rut. Asuka's mm-hmm. literally just being thrown away and discarded, and considering now- that she's not able to like pilot her own Ava anymore. She's left in emaciated state, not like tr- attempting to kill herself later until she was like recovered by nerve. Like you want, uh, like you want to literally just display like or, or some depression in like one frame it's it's literally just oscar sitting in the middle of a decrepitated house with with a little bit of running water just naked and anemic inside of a bathtub that's just sitting that's just baked in the middle of the sun and it's just kind of like yeah christ she's out of it yeah um <sighs> Followed by essentially Ray having to, like you said before, detonate her own core and just kill herself. Like, kill herself because they wouldn't be able to stop the angel that was able to infect her otherwise. Because we wouldn't have been able, to, like, otherwise we would have to go through an entire like fourth child situation again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and on top of that fact, like, there's and with yeah, Misato completely like emaciated and just tr- like tr- uh, trot broken. and broken over Kaji's death. Mm-hmm. Because of because of all the um because of all of his like past actions catching up to him, trying mm-hmm. to flip flop between Sele and Nerve. And it gets to a point where it's just Shinji it's just has nobody. It's, it's just, just Shinji. Um and he's left and it's terrible. it's like terrible because like all these terrible things are happening around Shinji and he feels somewhat powerless to make any to do anything anything with it. Um he doesn't know where to go, he doesn't who know who to turn to. Um, his one, uh, uh, one of his supports, Kaji, is like now also gone. Um, and he doesn't oh, know what to do. Yeah. Um, and then you know he's trying to connect to to anybody here, and then he bumps into this <laughs> this perfect being, the perfect entity, just casually sitting like sitting on a statue at the beach, just l- as Shinji's trying to just get some alone time and just try and like make some sense and run away, like he's only able to do here comes this just angel this literal angel, angel just coming down to earth in the form of kaoru and just who just yeah. he's uh he, he was sent as the replacement for Asuka to essentially like be the new pilot he has perfect sync rates 
He gets along with everybody. He openly accepts Shinji. He like comes into his life unconditionally loving him mm-hmm. and giving him all of the like, self-worth and attention and just positive feedback that has been yeah. lacking for him for a vast majority of the series. Mm-hmm. And it, he's his only like light and decent connection throughout the entirety of this whole debacle. Now that things are just literally falling apart at the seams, even though it even though there is only one angel left and Shinji's still at the, just chopping at the bits, just waiting where it's just, this might be over. This like, I only have one more angel. This is the last trial, the last conflict I'm going to have to go overcome. And then everything will be going through. And at, at least I'll be able to have like Kaji, like going through and, or not Kaji, uh, Kaoru. Yeah. Because somebody was able to come into my life and love me unconditionally. Yep. Too bad that only person was the last Ava leading into Psych. the entirety of this. And it's like, guess what, Shinji? You're wrong. <laughs> it's, you know that last a- that last angel, the last one, the last tr- the last trialing conflict that you're going to have to go through. There he is, <laughs> and now you have two choices because he is going down Terminal Dogma. He is going to merge with Lilith, which is and going it- to trigger the third impact, and he's going to bring about the end of the world. Yeah, and he might be. And that and that's it, because Kaoru is the last angel, and he is going to be the only way where third impact goes through. And so now Shinji, even though after several days getting to know him, like embracing mm-hmm. him and essentially like bringing him into his life as the only like piece of positivity and just light that is left in his life, mm-hmm. he is now forced to come to terms with that. He is now forced to come into conflict with Kaoru. And at the edge of the gates of hell, with Kaoru literally giving him the choice. Yes. Uh, he is he is standing right in front of Lilith. He's standing right in front of the trigger for the third impact to eradicate the rest of humanity. Mm-hmm. But the one thing, the only thing that he can give Shinji in this entire semblance of solace, because because of his love and because of his opportunity to find the last choice in his life, mm-hmm. he gives him the option. Mm-hmm. He is able to at least say in plain terms, I can either go. You can just let me go and end humanity and just have that be the end of it. It's like, like all, no more pain, no more suffering. It'll all be over. Mm-hmm. Or you can kill me as your last remaining connection to this world and still live in this like semblance of pain. Mm-hmm. And in and definitely considering that people like go through and they check on that scene with it being more of a freeze frame of at least thirty seconds where we're only where there's no dialogue, there's no change there's no zoom there's no pan there's no change to any of the frame it's just a a piece of choir in the background Mm -hmm. and shinji with you with all of these frozen frames that ano has been able to sprinkle out throughout the entirety of the series Mm -hmm. he is now forcing you to sit with shinji in this moment and try and empathize about the choice that he has to make Mm -hmm. yeah karu's like and and the fact that he was able to present shinji with one of the few autonomous choices that Shinji has ever made within the series. It's huge. It's a huge deal. Back, like, if we contrast against uh, his fight with uh, Toji in the episode, he wasn't given agency to to go through with it. Um, nor did he know 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 of Toji's uh, existence in the plug in the entry plug. But here, Shinji is fully aware of everything. Um, Shinji uh, recognizes that yes, uh, although Kaoru is an angel uh and Karu is openly asking asking Shinji to live uh and wishing for Karu for himself to to die in place of Shinji um it's 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 her, it's 
jarring it, it, it hurts it hurts shinji to make that sort of choice um and he does so because everybody is is encouraging him to to kill karu including karu himself um and later uh after he's he's killed karu he sits on the beach where he first met uh karu and contemplates with misato whether or not he did the right choice um in shinji's words he, he was a much nicer person than karu but uh misato affirms against against that idea that uh, he was an angel and he was going to uh, initiate third impact and kill everybody. Um, he lost the will to live and doesn't deserve to live. And um, yeah, and sh- yeah, Shinji just has to persist and exist. Live through the pain. Yeah. Uh, Work through the pain, which is not a lot. And so I guess in that case, we now get episodes 25 and 26, which are different, to say the least. <laughs> um considering that it was so like it was so mind-boggling in a way for the series to end because it was essentially not it, it was not that concrete it was a jumble for oh boy the last the very last frame that we got in episode 24 was uh ending on them sitting on the beach uh misato and shinji and then jump to episode 25 uh we're presented with the cut of Shinji in the hospital room, and he's just thinking. He's just thinking about what to think of everything that's transpired up to this point. Um, and the episode is entirely presented in in abstraction and surrealism. You don't know. We we understand that Shinji isn't in a physical space, but he's like thinking about his past versions. We're definitely seeing a lot of like surreal depictions of him in his mental space, where he's on the train car alongside everybody else who has otherwise should have been incapacitated or or dead. And he's trying to come to terms with who he is. Mm-hmm. Because it's always it always comes back to the train cars where it was one of his only pieces of solace. It was one of his only like places to think. It was one of his only places to actually just come to terms with the rest of it. And but there's not really as much to go through. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't and so I guess one of the main major reasons why people were definitely confused is that essentially the human instrumentality project, which was something that was foreshadowed in the rest of it, which in the series, which basically just amounts to the entirety of the world Humanity. trying to merge all of mankind into a single entity with no more AT fields, with no more distance, with everybody feeling the same thing and everybody becoming one. Mm-hmm. But Shinji has been able to create in this, in these two episodes, a solitary existence for himself, a world in which only he alone can exist. But he wants to figure out how he can change that because he, he's gone through all this trauma. He's changed. He's, and for for the better and for the worse, and at least try and attempt to like um not confirm but accept his existence and accept his failures and accept his flaws mm-hmm. and ultimately being the in the middle of all this abstract pieces and all of this like just this mix this this yes. this media jum- mix this jumbled media mix of an entire of an entire set of two episodes, Shinji is still able to go through. And not necessarily reject instrumentality, but kind of accept the rest of the world as well as himself. And just kind of in its and his final choice and his final um, just revelation in that he's able to destroy this shell that he's created around and <laughs> to create his own solitary existence by realizing that even though through all this, even though all of these all these events, all these connections, all these trials, all these, all this conflict, all this hate, all this just pessimism and depression. Mm-hmm. If you still moving, if you still keep moving forward, even at the end of the day, you can still learn to love yourself. 
And mm-hmm. at the end of, and even through all of that, even through all of the rest of it, like after getting a brief glimpse of like a high school life that he would have been able to have if he wasn't a naval pilot, getting a different perspective on a life that would have been able to give, he would have been able to still find meaning mm-hmm. in not just having this one singular thing that people want from you. He's able to learn that in, if this is one of the many worlds that open up to you when you learn how to love yourself. Mm-hmm. And everybody congratulates him on that revelation and the series ends. And yep. it's a very it's a very <laughs> positive message. Like at the end yep. of the day, with all the with all the conflict, with all the just um uh with Plot all of the narrative. Yeah. Cause I will admit that it doesn't wrap up everybody correctly. Like it doesn't do Ray Misato or uh like Oscar. Oscar. It doesn't like wrap everybody up. else. It yeah, doesn't wrap it's... up anything of the series, but it does give out its core message to the audience as though Anno himself is stepping into into frame and telling you this is a path or a reason for you to exist that you create meaning you you create meaning for yourself and you can find happiness if you desire it and um, it is a yeah and it is a very positive message like after after all of this like negativity and strife the fact that he like and even through all of the events that happened around the production of a of Evangelion, the fact that he's still able to go through, like Otto himself, to go through and still like come to that kind of conclusion, and still like try and send that message out to as many people as he could throughout this like one original like piece of his creation. It's definitely it, like it is it is definitely like takes a strong person to essentially like try and like go behind like that kind of stance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in this in these episodes, um, so. It's definitely hotly con- uh, contested whether or not the last two episodes were canon in series. Um, but Anno makes it clear that it, although the production was suffering from budget cuts uh, towards the end of it, um, Anno chose to use these abstract marker, almost storyboard-esque um, frames placed into the last episodes and and affirms that it was a directorial choice, that an artistic choice that... Um, Eno made to, to highlight the core message of the series, um, which is self-affirmation and and putting meaning into your own existence. Um, but of course, a lot of fans, reasonably so, I feel, uh, got felt a little bit betrayed because uh, they were expecting a particular sort of series with plot points that were supposed to wrap up in a conventional manner, and it was just kind of like dropped, like like what what are you supposed to do now? What about all the what the AT fields? What about the angels? What about like everybody else? Right. And that garnered a lot of um, hate mail and and backlash and backlog, uh, a very polarizing sort of um, uh, discussion that, that arose from it. In fact, the last episodes of twenty five and twenty six were the most watched in the Ava series at the time of its uh, TV debut, um, and still to this day, a lot of discussion is is generated around those two episodes. Um, so yeah, um, so Anno being the author that he is. Uh, got a lot of that backlash. Um, you know, there were death threats that were made to the studio. There were a lot of like hate mail that was being sent his way, but there was also, you know, just positive affirmation. Well, yeah. affirmation that uh, that Anno chose to to include as well. Um, so in '97, the end of Evangelion debuted and gave the fans the ending that they wanted, that quote. they thought they wanted, they thought they wanted. <laughs> exactly. This was. Um, Oh, this, yeah, the end of Evangelion just as a whole, it's phenomenal. There's so much to talk about, but just not too much, like, at all, like, in the middle of it. Because I can, 
you can definitely just go through and say that there's like so there's so much more to ads where it's like okay we got we got closure with the rest with the rest of the characters leading into the series and we got like f- for the rest of it except you kind of already got that the first in the last two episodes considering that they were all dead which is definitely understandable but then it was just i yeah cuz what did you say before ano just woke up um, and shows violence <laughs> he woke up and he and he just he oh my god it was yeah like this was this is what you wanted this is what you monsters wanted where it's just kind of like okay you want action you want you want the mecha fights you want the gore you want the absolute disgusting like aspects of human nature yeah (laughs) and like just just literally opening up this would have been like a not a not a treat this would have been an experience to go through in in theaters like i could only i could only imagine (laughs) the subversion to to everybody's expectation and anno's just giving like holding no punches against the 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 audience that criticized him um even not even just the audience the audience themselves also like fellow peers and other animators and directors who thought that the last two episodes were were lazy and because they weren't on celluloid um frames uh that it you know uh, made it disingenuous to to Anno's true intentions, but yeah, uh, Anno Anno had things to say when he made End of Evangelion, and oh, he had a lot. Yeah, he, he, had, he, he had things he to say. Fucking, he retaliated. He, he <laughs> just he retaliated against the industry. He retaliated against these so called fans. He retaliated against like basically any other like otaku or yeah any the semblance tr- of a of a character like or person trying to get into this. Mm-hmm tropes like retaliating against the tropes of the industry practices at the time um like Anno made this series as an antithesis to the anime escape as a whole the otaku fandom the uh the trends of of media the trends of of larger um larger corporations corporations and franchises yeah for the against the artistic direction um and Anno disproved or at least attempted to disprove a lot of them um so the the end of Evangelion starts off its series um, with Shinji and Asuka in a hospital room, where Asuka is left in her comatose state from you know uh, episode twenty two or so. Um, Shinji is begging anybody to give him some attention or s- somebody to lean on. Uh, that he's, and he's reduced to this point where he's begging a comatose Asuka for help, and uh, inadvertently. Uh, shows uh, Asuka's naked body to Shinji, and Shinji, being in the low and depressive state that he is, hit, that he's in, reverts to his base instinct and jerks off to completion um, to, uh, to Asuka's comatose body. And immediately, in the first five yeah, minutes, first this five is minutes, first five minutes of the film that you guys have been clamoring and waiting to see the ending for, and, and he just yeah. drops that like in the middle as, as kind of like a reflection, which is kind of like why. I would have thought like this would have been like an experience to see like in this film because it's just kind of like a director who is just completely fucking over it and done and just yeah. like lashing out at essentially like everybody else where it's just I literally just wanted to give you a positive message like by the end mm-hmm. of this and the fact mm-hmm. that so many of these uh like not necessarily a vocal minority because there would have it would have been like div- uh diversive to or mm-hmm. just just to say the least mm-hmm. but um but like just so many like nods and like a finger pointing directly out at the audience in so many like cases in this film where it's just how successful the merchandise behind like Ray and Oscar was, where it's just kind of like mm-hmm. you greasy, like 
unbelievable <laughs> fuckers literally yeah. are just like jerking it to all these 2D women and not essentially like trying to go out and experience life with the real world. You're yeah. not experiencing life. You are literally, and it's like, oh yeah, no, like, God, Shinji is just kind of like low and Dotron and kind of like disgusting in this moment. It's like, yes, like, he I, is. I, I wonder I, where I, I wonder where I got that uh, um, influence from. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and the fact that like, it's it's so ironic that the the obsessive otaku fandom was able to fuel funds for the series. Um, so because of how obsessed people were with the uh, the Ray and Oscar figures that came out from the production of Ava, where uh, Anno himself was kind of puzzled at the time because all the characters are just really flawed and really sick, yet people love them. Um, and you know, if the entire series is to critique uh, obsessive otaku or reclusive behaviors, uh, it's it's done the exact opposite and it's only exacerbated uh, the sort of ideas. Um, Evangelion to this day is like a huge moneymaker. It, uh, it, you know, it revolutionized and paved the way for experimental anime to be made because of its success. In spite of all of the, the critique and object, uh, objection that Anno had for the industry at the time, it, it only ended up fueling it. Uh, so uh, Anno with his with that that resource decided that you know what let's go all out if I I need to be more direct with my message because clearly I'm not reaching these kids you uh, guys clearly didn't get it and and the first time around and so right. I'm not and so not only am I not going to give you the satisfaction like mm-hmm. at the end of it I'm not going to like leave this on a more like positive note I'm going to I'm just going to use mm-hmm. the use the methods and the resources that you gave me on your own hand to completely just throw away anything that you thought you knew. You like, like waifus? Yeah. Oh. Guess oh. what? I'll give you your waifus. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm going to so, shoot yeah. this one. I'm going to tear apart this one. I'm going to blow up this one. I'm going to literally <laughs> disintegrate that one into the ether. And it's just, you guys really thought that that was the primary case? You really thought that was the primary appeal of this show? Well, then I'm going to throw that back in your face and I'm going to like uh, force you to watch me destroy all, all of these like right in front of you. Like like on top yeah. of the fact being, and it's just kind of like, oh, that seems a little too harsh. Like that's a little too like forward for a director to do that to their fans, like in the middle of a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, so you think that here's um several dozens of, upon dozens of frames of death threats that yes. I got my animators got, my studio got, my producers got, everybody re- revolving around my family got. Mm-hmm. People literally sent me death threats through the mail. They sent me death threats online. They spray painted death threats on, on the, the studio? Dynax studio. And you <sighs> think these fuckers didn't deserve a little bit of repentance and a little bit of like, yeah. uh, like leeway and hit back? It's like, no. And, and literally just, I, I don't know if it was the primary screening or if it was just like a random theater that they went through but like literally Mm -hmm. in the middle of human instrumentality in the middle of the lcl and where all of humanity is going through it's literally a panning shot of like not only uh, of the audience of the of the theater which i which i don't know like i said before i don't know if that was like one of the primary screenings i don't know Mm -hmm. if that was like uh like uh, like a set of people that kind of like want to want to um opportunity to go see it but it was just kind of like it was such it, it would be such an interesting experience to just like see a director like literally point his finger and say "fuck you," like literally yeah. putting yes. a putting a mirror on 
the screen and pointing it directly back at the audience where it's just, yeah. no, I'm not going to give you what you want. Yeah. This is what you're getting because this is what you asked for. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, there's, man, even towards like the, the second half of the film, there's just like, uh, so I think the initial screening was for two parts of the film. Uh, there was like, um, Oh, it could have been the audience for Death and Rebirth. Death and Rebirth, they, right. Ah, uh, that, that could have been yeah. it, yeah. Yes, uh, which they used for the film to to layer in that message. But yes, it's it still stands It stands true. Um, really interesting take, um, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, so the, the the whole premise of Even, End of Evangelion is that it's supposed to wrap up a lot of the end plot points. Um, the the cabal of, of Sele's intention and uh, and in, in trying to start uh, human instrumentality for their own ends. Um, we get to see the ends of Rei and Asuka and Shinji's arcs all here. Um, we get to see Misato uh, also completing her arc where um, basically because word had gone out that uh, that Sele so, so hang on. Gendo has his own agenda for project for starting um, human instrumentality. Sele wants to use it for another means. Um so Sele uses their connections to uh, trick, I think it's the JDSF and the other sort of military force that they have into thinking that Nerve was going to start Third Impact. Uh, and that's why you see in the beginning frames why the the beginning moments of the, of the movie, why they're going so hard to, to just ret- retrieve uh, retrieve uh, Nerve's headquarters. Um, and, like it's, and it's fucking brutal. Like yeah. it, there is no... There's no semblance of like hit back. There's no um, uh, like there's no intent to try and fight back because all of these a, a lot of these people who are working at Nerve are like engineers and social workers. Like yeah. they're, they're smart and they're good at their jobs and they know every. But they're they've done a, like a, a a training day or two to know how to like operate a firearm, like just in the very very worst case. But like none of them were expecting to get into this job to like become a soldier and to like fight for the rest of it because that's what the Aves are doing. And yeah. they didn't necessarily think like any, like you're fighting extraterrestrial beings where a pistol is not really going to do much. You were never expected yes. to fight people. Yes. And so you see these cuts of all the JSDF rolling through the halls, like just mowing down, just neutralizing nerve, targets, just basic nerve, like workers, like through the rest of it. Like you see people dragging their friends who have already been shot through the hall only for them to get gunned down themselves. They literally get chucked into a room where they're eviscerated by a flamethrower. Like there is, there's no mercy. There is no semblance of like hit back or just continuous, just mm. fight for the rest of it. Like th- there's, there's mm-hmm. no way that they can like combat the rest of this thought. Mm-hmm. This was like this is an operation, like a a cleansing. They are, you know, they're cleaning up all of Nerve, and uh, uh, through all this, like they're even mentioned that they'll neutralize all the targets. Like Misato is desperately trying to like get the children to safety inside their AV units, where they'll be sheltered by by them in the safest po- place possible. Uh, Asuka, in her comatose state, is forced into AV Unit Two to protect herself and place under the lake near Tokyo Three. Uh, Shinji, on the other hand, after uh, coming coming to terms that his existence and everything around him is just meaningless and uh, and loses his will to live, is just hiding under the stairs somewhere in in, in Nerve headquarters. So, and Misato takes it upon herself that she has to save Shinji uh, for for any for any of this to be worth it. Um, 
So she has to now navigate through Nerf headquarters while the rest of the JDSF are like like committing genocide to to all the other civilians and work or so to all the other workers. Um, and it's it's a tight situation. Like they're getting gunned down at headquarters. Um, and Misato's got to like navigate through the hallways of this labyrinth that is Nerf headquarters to save Shinji. Shinji to literally, to literally drag him, drag him through out. this. Yeah. Um, like you know. Uh, he's sitting in the parking lot in in Nerf headquarters, just like sitting in fetal position, just doesn't know what to do. Uh, Misato finds finds him and drags him along, and um, you know he was about to be put to gunpoint by these by the uh, the JDSF unit, and um, at least in the Japanese dub, they don't really take joy or pleasure in in this operation. They're doing it because they have to. Um, so uh, one of the officers says that. He says nothing personal, kid. Like uh, as though he was like upholding in a the, duty in the most right? in the most genuine sense. Like yeah. it, there's no there's no other like meaning behind it as it's been jumbled. It's like no, like literally. You, you, we understand that you're a 14 year old kid, but this is our mission, and we know that we have to stop you or what we're what we think we we have to stop you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that just and that just leads Misato into essentially like trying. F- find him through and get him to Ava unit one and then just like drag him out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Which then leads to possibly the best, like, uh, like to this day, I still think it's like, if there was one like outlook for the rest of it, it would basically just be Oscar's last stand. Yeah. yeah. It is gorgeous. Like just going from like such a whiplash to, to mm-hmm. like her, for her to come out of her comatose like state in her fetal position, like sitting at the bottom of the lake, being bombarded by oil bombs or like yes. sub, like yeah. subnautical detonants. Yes. Like leading through to it. And then finally coming to the realization because the reason why her mother was so comatose was because very much like Shinji's mother, she ended up like losing her psyche to the Ava that she was working on. Mm-hmm. And so when Asuka finally has that realization that the mother that she was trying to appease, the one that she was trying to, uh, like get her to love her and like look at her again has been inside the Ava the whole time. And she like just climbs to the top of this lake in this triumphant, like stand literally bench pressing a destroyer yeah. over her hands in the Ava. And it's like, bro, it. yeah. like just chucking it against all of the ordinance of the, um, of the, the of forces. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. absolutely, absolutely having a heyday, like yeah. completely going through, only to then be interrupted by <laughs> the, the the mass production units that that Sele and other nations have been working on um, to for, for yeah, their own just, ends. Exactly, and so now she has to she she has to go and fight all ten of these just mass produced ones with these big like heaping hunks of like iron as like a yes. dual handed blade. Yes. And um, <laughs> just yeah. and that's it's probably and to me that is probably the best mecha fight in in yeah. anime. Period. It's it's like, breathtaking. It's, it like, is so like you feel the you feel the weight of every like you feel that these swing. are yeah these are like several story high monoliths that are just literally fighting and breaking out into fisticuffs and how each step completely changed the landscape whenever they go and move the battle to somewhere else to. <laughs> Like, like one of like Oscar's best cuts in in the franchise is like when she picks it up and she's in the middle of being knocked back after a swing and you see her whole 
like body just body being swing. thrown around by the forces of the amount of G's and the weight of the fight that she's yeah. like going through. And yeah. and to her credit, she does take down all ten of like the mass production. Mm-hmm. Too bad it's not all of Enough. the cores, and yeah. she essentially gets torn apart in like at the end of it. Like she gets. She's so close to having her like moment of retribution, so close to going through. But as we knew in episodes twenty five and twenty six, mm-hmm. she ends up losing anyways. And then yeah. of course it's like this is your this is one of your favorite red headed like anime girls that you like. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm gonna tear her to shreds. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally, figuratively, all of it just break her down entirely and it is, force you to bear witness to it. It's it not is, a pretty yeah. sight either, right? No, it is, just, uh, it is literally gut-wrenching. It is oh literally God. just, there is nothing, like, after this, and just, like, forcing you to watch as, like, you know that Asuka's feeling all of this as well. It's just kind of like, oh, God. Like, you're, yeah. like, both you in the theater and all of the nerve workers who are, like, uh, running reconnaissance and, like, watching the battle from afar, it's like, you're literally, like, put into their position where it's like... Mm-hmm. Oh God, they're literally just tearing her apart. They're eating her. <clears throat> um, yeah, we get to see like the visible damage within the plug suit or within the the entry plug that Asuka's in. Um, when she gets her like one of the blades turns into uh, a prototype lance of Longinus and pierces her eye. We see her in the co- uh, in the cockpit with her eye profusely bleeding, and she's in pain. She's screaming hard. Um, and still trying as hard as she can to to fight back against uh the mass production units um and you know although she's dying um like horribly she still persists the will to fight uh and to oppose uh everything that's against her which is you know super admirable like this time asuka is standing on her own two feet for her own sake uh and it's just terrible like to see that she's being eviscerated in this manner Right, the Ava unit is coming down, eating the guts of the Ava, uh, and you can see that that Asuka in the cockpit is just writhing in pain. Uh, it's terrible, um, and because she's because she's found her epiphany and high synchronization rate with the Ava unit, she has been in the highest synchronization state ever, ever. And you get to s- and there's a final lance that pierces her as she's holding her hand up up to the sky, uh, and tears her arm arm into. And it's just like, all right, well, if that did it to her, her arm, we, we know that, like, the aftermath of all that destruction, we see AV Unit 2 uh, basically picked up and dragged along by the Bass Production Units, like Carrion. Um, like, like vultures. Like vultures. Going through a right? corpse. Yeah. And then Shinji, of course, is forced to, like, like that's the one thing. he Like, he finally, like, gets the will to get back into the Ava, and, yeah. he, and he goes through, and he, like, makes it too late to the fight, only to see... Yeah the corpse of, like, what used to be Unit 2. What used to be his friend. Yep, exactly. And so, at the end of it all, Sele, just like 25 and 26, they go through instrumentality in a much more viscerally, just world-ending kind of perspective. Mm -hmm. Like, just watching, where if it's just like, yeah, no, everybody's now, like, formed into one, and everybody, yeah, but how exactly would you go about doing that? Yeah. Do you really want to know? Yeah. And it's like, yes, we totally want to know. It's like, okay, as the, <laughs> chorus, as the chorus of billions of people just fall like through the background and they're all absorbed into like this one piece of essence of instrumentality. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it just, yeah, it just keeps, it just keeps tumbling down. <laughs> it just keeps oh, tumbling, down, tumbling down, tumbling down, tumbling down. 
Oh, amazing track. I love it. Such a jaunty, happy tune contrasted against a very depressive, very literal interpretation of of everything that's happening around. Of the end of the world, basically. Like, God. Um, uh, The lyrics, those particular lyrics were crafted by Anno himself. And, you know, it's it's telling. Um, Like, if you if you read them out, you know, I because now the guilt is all mine. Uh, It's it's very indicative of of. Anybody who's placed within Shinji's state of existence, just existing as a person, those are things that people will feel, right? Um, and yeah, it's just it's just a surreal experience uh, to see. Like, um, okay, so so back backpedaling on this before like all this instrumentality stuff happens. Shinji, uh, after having one last talk with Misato, after Misato uh, tries to convince Shinji to persist and to take charge of his life. Um, because after after all this, uh, Misato won't be will be able to help him. Misato desperately tries to impart one last message to him um, in whatever way she can. Uh, she imparts a kiss on a Shinji. Uh, in and I think the reason for this is why she uses a kiss as a way to connect with Shinji is because she's Misato herself sees herself kind of like she uses her as uh, as a point of desire that if I can't connect with this this person emotionally, then I will use what has always conventionally worked with me, which is my body, to to convince him. And um yeah, just ah. so so Shinji, you know, uh is is of course taken aback by this and pushed shoved into the elevator by Misato, where she just keels over and dies. Uh like, oh, it's so tragic. And like, yeah. Then even at know. the end of the day, like that's the only thing that she can do. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that she or only she way that she knows she how. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, like, as soon as we get up to uh, Evangelion Unit One, um, Shinji can't even get inside the uh, the, the entry plug because it's cut off by Bakelite. Um, so, although Shinji now like found the resolve to like want to help, he can't even. He's removed the choice uh, of doing anything for Asuka while she's being eviscerated. And then, like, the monitors scream out to say that Shinji. Asuka! Oh, well, it's it's terrible. Um, and then, like... Nobody, yeah, this yeah. is as a, bleak and as negative and as, like, forthright that anybody could, like, ever be in a, in a, in a stage to essentially, like, let the story play yeah. out. It is, yeah, it is yeah. one of the most depressing endings and to, like, any sort of series that you will ever find. Mm-hmm. So, Shinji gets into the cockpit, finally, and he's able to reach the surface and see the destruction that's, that's wrought. His first images as upon... Entering the sky um, uh, after being picked up by the rest of the angels is uh, the the mass production used, I should say, is Asuka's the unit two's eviscerated state um, because we're bombarded with those images directly, and Shinji just lets out a howling scream um, uh, upon the, the realization of that, and it's it's harrowing. We get to and it zooms out from his perspective out to the grand scale that he's now projected in in the sky, like they are like low orbit. Um, like and he is all alone, all alone by himself, uh, bearing witness to the beginning of instrumentality. The angels all pick up uh, portions of uh, Ava Unit One and form the Tree of Sephiroth, uh, which is you know you'll see that in the beginning of the opening theme for the TV series. But now it takes on the symbolic form of an actual tree of uh, basically uh, reaching God Goddom, where um, 
the closest, yeah, the closest that anything inside of the Ava universe has come to a god. Yeah. It just starts playing out. Um, so, yeah. Um, uh, meanwhile, while all this is happening, um, uh, Ray and Ray, Risco, and Gendo are all down in Central Dogma, where uh, Gendo is trying to merge with Lilith, which is um, uh, basically the key for controlling instrumentality. Um, Gendo merges part of his hand with um, Adam and tries to direct instrumentality through Ray, who is basically like a uh, like a gateway, like an object or tool for Gendo to use. Um, but through um, her experience with living with Shinji and understanding him, she she rejects Gendo and chooses Shinji, Shinji instead to be responsible for instrumentality um, and lets him be the fate of <laughs> these many, many souls, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's kind of, and it does lead into the same sort of direction where it's just, he's now the, because now human instrumentality has been continued and it is continuing around Shinji again, mm-hmm. but it's, it's yeah, and because it's still trying to go for another ending for for the rest of Ava, where it was just kind of like, okay, I already tried to tell you this ending once. <laughs> why would I do that again? Like, why? Why would if you didn't listen the first time? Why essentially would I like try to line that up? And so Shinji once again goes through and chooses to leave instrumentality like he did before. But not out of obligation, not out of like finding a newfound set of acceptance, not out of just not out of being anything uh, more to have a positive outlook on the future. He just goes because he, he just doesn't he doesn't like it. Like this is not what I wanted. This is not, not reality. This is not the reality that everybody should choose to. And so mm-hmm. his mother, who still now lives inside of Ava Unit One, just tells him, well. It might not be complete, but then everybody will have the opportunity to leave this um, instrumentality, but they will be able to leave this entity on their own time. Mm-hmm. And maybe they will be, come to join you. But until then, you're going to have to live in the reality. You're going to have to live with other people. You're going to have to live with pain and you're going to have to live with all this. But you're still, but at least you'll be able to keep moving forward and still mm-hmm. live. And, yeah. it's, and it's the final like middle finger to Gendo because... Mm-hmm. Gendo gets rejected by Ray. He gets mm-hmm. rejected by his dead wife. Ava yes. Unit Two chomps him in half. Yeah, and then he's not allowed to, or no, he gets accepted into instrumentality, but he is not granted the one major goal that he has been searching for throughout mm-hmm. this entire season. He was Which not is- given the satisfaction to be with his wife, to yes. be with his dead wife in instrumentality, because mm-hmm. her piece of her soul, her entity the last piece that was would have been able to connect with him is no longer going to be a part of it she is mm-hmm. going to reside within ava unit zero one and for or, sorry, eternity yes she is going to or sorry not what yeah ava unit one she's going to reside inside of the ava unit throughout the rest of eternity as a tro not a trophy but more as a token and a remembrance of humanity mm-hmm. and she, and they will never be able to come back into contact ever again mm-hmm which then leads up to Shinji going through and resurfacing in the Red Seas after the apocalypse, after everything is kind of just stopped partway through. And instrumentality is essentially like still happened, but mm-hmm. now it's in, it's incomplete and people now have the opportunity or the choice. To return to reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so like through, through those few instances where Shinji was able to meet his mother, even, even briefly, um, 
it was still a well hmm, maybe how should I describe it she makes the point to say that uh so long as you have the will to to exist an opportunity for happiness also exists and uh Shinji makes the choice that um you know he has doesn't have everything figured out just yet but he feels that he would eventually come to this decision anyways and rejects instrumentality and returns to and returns to to the world because he wants to have those experiences again he wants to meet people again um he wants to try he wants to try so we see him resurface from from the ocean essentially uh, washed up on the beach with asuka um next to him and proceeds to choke asuka um where asuka responds uh kimochi warui which could be translated as i feel bad or disgusting um as she reaches up to caress shinji's face um and shinji begins to start crying and that's the that's the movie end movie and that's it cut to black cut to black it's over uh and that last scene leaves such like uh a mixed sort of uh interpretation like a lot of there were a lot of there was a lot of conjecture around like how people should interpret that last frame um and i'm glad part of the fun of watching the Evangelion franchise is able to come to what sort of conclusions have you made? What sort of things did you take away from the series? And I won't disenfranchise anybody's interpretation of it because ultimately the core message is you will give, you will give it meaning. It is, Um, it is, yeah, it is like a Rorschach test in of its own self to just kind of like go through different interpretations. It's, mm -hmm. there's more than enough to be cut and dry. There's more than enough for it to be, to have its own conclusion and for it to actually have its own, like way to move forward but every but every kind of perception every kind of perspective like is different which then leads into this which was which is why he kept like pleading people where it's like so so yeah what was the ending of ava all about it's like well what did you think the end of ava yes. was all about yes because exactly. it's because it's so much like because he's because he's like so tired from that as well as like just he he was really hoping for people to just kind of like go find their own future, find their own thing, uh, like relating to this reality and bring it into your own and have, and make connections with your own. Cause like, even then, like me watching it back in 2012 to then rewatching it again in 2019, when it came mm-hmm. back out in, in that, like for Netflix, for Netflix as well, like mm-hmm. me with having like, even in the, ch- even in the span of seven years, so much else has happened and I've, mm-hmm. I've grown and, I've, and some things have stayed the same, but some things have also changed because that's how, how, that's what living that's, is. That's doing. life. That's, that's life. That's and having a different yeah. experience of existence. Um, just having a different perspective. Yeah. And having mm-hmm. like, not only just about life, but also on the industry and why Ono did the things that he did and why Ono essentially was in that kind of state of mind. Because I had no, I didn't know the extent of what it was back in 2012, and then watching mm-hmm. it in 2019 with that in the back of my mind, mm-hmm. it made for such a different experience and such a change in, in meaning. Yeah. Um. Like, so I, I guess I'll like I'll just ask the question: What did you think the last, uh, the last frame, the last scene can be interpreted as? How did you see it for end of Ava? The end of Evangelion. Hmm. Yeah. For the end of Ava, I still think that it was that people will still that humanity was not over that there was still an opportunity for it to cuz i think it was not it was not complete like it, like the entire instrumentality was like aborted and like stopped mm-hmm. halfway through so it was mm-hmm. not entirely complete and so it's a flawed unity that still 
is open for separation and open, but at least everybody in there has the opportunity to choose when and why they come out. Mm -hmm. And so that was, and so at least it was kind of the same vein where at least Asuka was, would have through all that trauma and through all of that to essentially have the opportunity to go, she would have the opportunity to essentially like leave the majority of that collective and try and find connection like outside of that, because she knew Mm -hmm. with, she knew because of the relationship with her mother, that's not the connection. That's not the just way that she wanted to interact with people. And so, Mm -hmm. but because it's Shinji and, and because of what their conflict and what their relationship had devolved into, She's. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of glad that she still did have at least some semblance of care. Mm-hmm. That she was even after all of the horrific things that, or after like after all that Shinji did, after all that she was <laughs> able to go through, even with all the pain, you're, she was still able to reciprocate, reciprocate some semblance of kindness, mm-hmm. and then immediately just undercut it with like, yeah, how disgusting. Kimishi Warui. Um. So I interpret the end of Evangelion, that last scene where Shinji chooses to choke Asuka, um, is to affirm that they're in a state of reality. Because if they can feel pain, then it means that they've made it. And this just isn't just some weird dream sequence again, where they're trapped in LCL. Um, so, you know, upon affirming that Asuka can feel pain, where she says, Kimuchi Wari, he either breaks down and cries because they've made it, or that he still feels guilt that now Asuka can feel the pain. Um... And because, and I think Asuka uses the, those sort of motions of caressing Shinji's face as a firm of uh, affection, not just like, uh, to, just to chastise him, um, is, is important. It means that Asuka understands some aspect of Shinji now. Because like, everybody was in the soup. They, they saw everything that went on. Um, they, they were all part of the same tang, and they got to experience and see inside of everybody else's psyche. All, everybody was one for a period of time. And I think that uh, allowed them to come to better understandings now that they've exited a collective consciousness and now returned to a state of individuality. So that's my interpretation of the ending. But I won't object to anybody else forming their own opinions because that's the fun. That is Evangelion. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now that we've finally reached the end of Evangelion, uh, there's... There's a whole bunch of other things we can talk about the rebuild series and how it interplays with the the rest of the franchise, but that'll be for another episode. Um, even now that we've gone over the entire series and the movie, there's still a whole bunch of surrounding media around the Evangelion production. Um, dozens, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, dozens, <laughs> on dozens of different like pieces of media yeah. and video games and light novels yeah. and interviews. Manga. And interviews, and because it's so, oh god, it's because it's so damn profitable. And of course, yes. they would be able to franchise that and have it become like a a literal mainstay in Japanese culture. But yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's it yeah. is it is a lot. It is a lot. Huge industry impact. Um, like uh, Ray and Asuka's existence have painted the archetype for all future sort of character templates. Like you can see it in the most recent iteration that I can think of is Darling in the Franks, where we have zero. Uh, zero two, literally. Oh my god! Uh, please, I, as long as she's not the mainstay, holy shit! Right? Um, oh, darling, in the Franks was it? It, it was something. Yeah. <laughs> it was and really it, something. Wait, sorry, was darling in the Franks also Trigger or who? It was. It was Trigger. Yes, yes, it, it, it was. It, yeah, it was a dual production with Trigger and A One Pictures. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, it, I, I could definitely see how people 
would definitely like go across with the red or in, or in her red case, hair. I think it was like eh, it might have been like a really deep like rose probably yes yeah. but then of course you had the blue with ichigo but it's just kind of like if, if you look for anything resembling like decent character traits in any of those characters you're probably going to be coming up short yeah for darling in the franks you definitely have the expectations <laughs> incredibly bloody low even though it's yeah. a trigger production so yeah yeah, yeah. it's um yeah. also for the fact that like trigger is also a splinter uh iteration of the original gynex um team True. yeah so it like the the industry impact proliferates across many series like eureka 7 between eureka and nemine like there are a whole bunch of like other like light novel adaptations that still use that sort of uh template of like red long hair versus short quiet blue hair like you'll see it everywhere point it out anytime you see it make a note of it it's there and this is more often than you think to the thanks of evangelion yeah so yeah it's yeah don't worry man you're gonna have to because you've gotten through the first three rebuilds and now you've got one more last major piece that's right media to go through because even though even through me even though i've been able to go through and experience 3.0 plus Mm 1.0 now it's your turn oh damn and then i can finally say goodbye to evangelion yep sayonara all of evangelion that is which is definitely a like it is it is a mainstay and it is a just a tribute to essentially like what anna was able to do and essentially be able to like make this project like even possible and get it out to it being Mm -hmm. like to to a ripe old age of 26 like yeah it is a franchise that is definitely worth noting and if we And it's definitely, I really hope that by the end of this, that we've been able to at least like bring across why we like this series so much and how, and to a degree on what it's able to accomplish and what it's set out to do. Mm -hmm. There's, yeah, it's, it was an experience and a cultural icon that will continue to affect the anime industry for decades to come as it has proven so, so far, so far. Um, Yeah, I think that's about it for now. We may return to this, uh, to examining the Evangelion franchise later, definitely for the rebuild films, uh, and maybe taking a look again more at a lateral view of the uh, of the Evangelion franchise. What so. it was able to, yeah, what what came before it, what came after it, what mm-hmm. happened through Gynax. It's just what? kind of like there's yeah. so much related to this series in general. It's just yeah. kind of like there's we could go for days upon days and we still wouldn't have been able to cover everything that is related mm-hmm. around evangelion but thankfully yeah. thankfully youtube exists and thankfully even even podcasts as well we're able to go through and kind of have the opportunity but yeah no mm-hmm. that is yep that is your goal that is your next assignment Damn 3.0 it. plus 1.0 <laughs> and oh. say goodbye to evangelion bye evangelion all right you'll get to it oh and we hope you guys too i really hope everybody's able to <laughs> at least share this kind of experience and have the opportunity to experience it for themselves because at the at the end of the day that's the most that you can do yeah well i think that's a good place to wrap it up um we'll return well, to this later thanks. yeah thanks for, <laughs> thanks for uh coming on thanks for uh helping me get through and uh just kind of elaborate on the entirety of what or at least what most of evangelion was it was definitely yeah. i definitely appreciate you stopping by no problem but uh yeah it's been great being here Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations. Congratulations.